Welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits here at the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California. And we are bringing to you a special, special episode. Long time in the making, this one is, for good reasons. So this summer, Jim and I, say hi, Jim. That's Naked Jim to you. (laughs) Yes, it is. Hey. And I'm your host, Liza. Jim and I had the opportunity, by opportunity, I mean, we got on our bikes and went well, it was quite gracious opportunity. It was very cool. We went down to L.A. because there is so much good stuff down there that we wanted to check out. We've got a list of people and places and things to see in L.A. And so we took the opportunity, went down there. We got some interviews and we had some great experiences. Had some nice rides. Had some nice rides. We did. Yes. Santa Ynez Valley was beautiful. And the L.A. traffic is no joke. That was some legit lane splitting, man. <laughs> you know, what's funny is I wish we had done the river or some sort of mapping of our trip. It's like, we looked like a, like a whirly, a, a, what is it? The whirly dirly or something. Whirly Zing. gig? Yeah. Something like that. Going ping ponging around LA and the majority of it had to be lane splitting. It was really awesome. Um, it was awesome. We first started out, uh, we went to the Peterson museum. That place is really cool. Jim, you've never been there before. No, I hadn't. And I only heard about it fairly recently, but you know, it's a, it's something to see. It is. And we're going to come back to that. That's our first interview. But some of the other things we did, Jim, was it also your first time going to the La Brea Tar Pits? It was actually. And I, you know, it's not like I've never been to LA. I've been to LA plenty. And, um, but you know, La Brea Tar Pits is always something like, yeah, for some reason it reminds me of the Flintstones. It, and there's actual like tar seeping just out of the ground in random places. And and hostile parking attendants. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> How do you get arrested in oh, anyway? Speaking of hostile our next visit was to the queen mary the ship turned into a hotel which is said to be one of the most haunted places on earth yeah that was one of the highlights of of a trip of highlights being on one of those old uh passenger ships was just amazing yeah so there were definitely some ghost stories and some a lot of sneaking around on this trip too <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> this was a trip about getting behind the door yeah the theme on this trip was get getting into places we should not be and we were stupidly successful <laughs> <laughs> but i and i think for the people who were on that ghost tour that we were lurking on the floor above oh. <laughs> spying on them that maybe they they got that treat and thought they heard a ghost yeah yeah, yeah. Scaring, snickering sc- and running. Scaring people on a ghost tour is definitely in your wheelhouse. <laughs> that was fun. You know, another real highlight for me, going to the garage company and, and meeting Yoshi. Yeah, you know, we had heard, um, and I'll touch on two things. We had heard about the garage company. One of the people was Hutch Built, was Jeremy Hutch, mm-hmm. who we met up at the One Motorcycle Show. He had mentioned it, so that's what, you know, kind of piqued my interest. And uh, we looked more into it, and holy moly, this guy's been Yoshi is the guy's name who started it. And there's a whole story. We'll talk about it later. But he's been doing custom bikes in L.A. for like almost 30 years or something like that. And Uh, anyway, yeah, the garage company was like another holy 
moly. It's a playground. It is. And then we also got to visit Deus Ex Machina that I've heard a lot about. I've seen their their stuff at shows, and I didn't know exactly what they were. Is this a jean company, or is this a motorcycle, you know, custom builder? Is this a surfing? I had no idea. And it turns out, yes. Yeah, they and they make a bitch of panini. And they make paninis and candles, and this is like the new generation of we do anything that is custom and craft craftsmanship involved. Yeah, combined with with LA. In it LA, was it was LA all scene. there. It was very, very surreal, but it was cool to experience that. And then we headed over to Hollywood Electrics, and I've heard of this place many times from Electric Terry and Brandon and and Luke Workman and. And they are the number one seller of zero motorcycles in the country. I think one or tied for number one. They're up there. I expected to go there and see like this giant like dealership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I follow them, uh, you know, online and stuff. And it, it seems like they have this huge presence because they do a lot of really cool stuff. No, and it's just a small little corner store with a bunch of bikes shoved in it. And they're managing to sell a ton of stuff out of there. So it was cool. Yep, innovative people. But then I think for me, the highlight was on our last night heading over to Lucky Wheels Garage. Yeah, no doubt. That was, I think that was one of the, you know, we had two reasons to go down there. And I think Peterson was the main one. And there's, you know, and then uh, it was Lucky Wheels. And that was a really cool scene. Yeah, but let's circle back to our first visit because this was a real highlight. So, kind of one of the reasons that we created this whole trip is because I had heard about this new exhibit at the Peterson Museum. So the Peterson is an automotive museum that uh, does have motorcycles in it, but it is mostly an automotive museum. And I was surprised to see that they were having a motorcycle exhibit there, not just a motorcycle exhibit. This one is being put on by, or curated by Paul Dorlins of The Vintagent. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners know know Paul or The Vintagent, and he, what a fascinating guy. I'll say right out the gate, this guy's got a really cool gig going for himself. He, you know, how do you describe him? He's an artist, he's a motorcycle guy, he's a historian, he's a filmmaker. Yeah, we first learned about him at The Quail. Like, who's that man in that uh, wonderful uh, floral shirt and ascot? So you realize he's a guy who knows his stuff and people know him. And it's like, who is this man? That was when we first discovered him. And so to learn that he had curated this... Yeah, I knew it was going to be special. Yeah, because he's done things like the Quail, the Meekum auctions, Bonhams, those types of events. And he actually does commentary on NBC. But but the breadth of what he does is pretty amazing. So we contacted him and said, hey, we'd love to come see the exhibit. Is it possible that we could get an interview or a tour? And he was out of the country the weekend we were able to set this up. But he took care of us. And, and we were given a wonderful tour guide. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So we met Brian Stevens there. And Brian Stevens is the creative and exhibitions director at the museum. He's been there since 2005. He knows his stuff. And we were very fortunate to have him to take us around and give us a tour and history of the whole museum. And we're going to share some of that with you right here. Well, 
Well, I'm, I'm curious before we get into the meat and potatoes is, you know, Mr. Peterson, how did he come up with the whole thing? I mean, did he have a bunch of them sitting in his kitchen and living room and said, I need a building for these or? He actually, well, he had a long history of being interested in and in displaying automobiles. Um, he had a museum back in Hollywood, uh, Hollywood Boulevard called the Motorama Museum for a number of years, which featured uh, George Barris type cars from, yeah. from movie making. Um, he had some cars of his own, but uh, he, at, uh, in the early 1990s, ended up partnering, essentially partnering with the Natural History Museum, or the Los Angeles County Museum of Natural History, um, knowing that they had a collection of cars of their own that needed a place to be displayed. Um, he had funding, he was interested in cars, felt that it would be appropriate to have a place in Southern California that, that showcased the history of automotive culture, um, knew that they had some cars that were not on display, they could use a home, everyone came together and produced this, and that was really the foundation of it. Um, and it, it just exploded from there and became many, many things. So what was the building before it became the museum? In the early 60s, it was a department store called uh, Seibu. So it was a very high-end Japanese department store. Oh, no kidding. Uh -huh. Yeah, it didn't last very long, a couple years. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it became another department store called Orbox. Okay. Uh, and that lasted up until the 1980s. Uh, and then there was a period of time that the, or the building that is uh, sat vacant and it was uh, in the early 90s that Mr. Peterson, who was looking for a space uh, for a potential museum, came across it and realized there were many advantages to the building for housing a collection like this. So Liza's starting to lose her mind here looking at some insane scooter. It's a gurney. It's a, yeah, gurney. It's a gurney alligator. It's yep. a gurney alligator, that, I that, know. That uh, vehicle was actually unveiled here at the Peterson. So yeah, so we're looking at the gurney alligator. We've yep. talked about this before. Basically, he took the idea of stretching the bike and dropping the rider down. Uh, low center so of you're not fighting the wind. Mm -hmm. And it's said too that the control is even better with the lower center of gravity. So it's great to see and, and it's like a Dirt bike. I was like going to say like a thumper flat track kind yeah. of motor, but but the point being that he just used an existing, uh, existing motor, but built a bike. The frame around is really what he did. Yeah. And I remember seeing these in magazines and stuff. So it's cool to see one up close, and it's not as awkward looking as it mm -hmm. <laughs> as I remember. Definitely unique. It's got to be bizarre to sit on. There's something to it. Or maybe. It's less bizarre to a person who's not familiar with motorcycle riding because it's more familiar uh, to right. somebody who's, who's uh, used to sitting in that position, car position to, right? yeah, to drive an automobile. Right. I mean, really, it's, it's like a cruiser setup. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, it's just a really low just to the ground the cruiser. drop down low, yeah. So um, approximately how many cars and motorcycles are in this building? Uh, on display upstairs, we have a total of around 130 vehicles on display mm -hmm. at any given time. There are another 300 plus vehicles in our basement at right. any given time. Uh, we might be up into the 400s now, uh, given some work we're doing down there. And then this paint job is reminiscent of a Shelby Cobra, the blue with the white stripe. This is really nice. I'm glad to see this prominently displayed. Again, I remember coming through here and yep. was surprised to see motorcycles here. Mm -hmm. This has a long history here. It was, like I said, it was unveiled here. Um, they actually hid the motorcycle inside an egg, a large <laughs> egg, uh, I guess a fiberglass or paper type egg. And um, uh, he ended up bursting out of this egg with the motorcycle in front of an audience and the media in, in a gallery downstairs on the second floor. We have, uh, I wasn't here for it, but I've seen some pretty uh, crazy looking photographs of the publicity stunt they arranged nice. for it. There was only 36 made. Mm -hmm. That's great. Great representative. Awesome. 
And you guys have quite a few exhibits going here, not just Yeah, we have this. about 25 separate spaces that we could technically could call exhibitions. Um, about six or seven of them are of significant scale, and uh, two of them are at very large scale. What we've done is identified five ways that people have come over the last hundred plus years to appreciate. Everybody has their own reason for liking cars, if, if in fact they do, or for, or for connecting with them. Some people like the style that they convey. Some people are fascinated by the fact that they can buy what's probably the most innovative purchasable object that the average, you know, the average person can acquire. Um, the freedom that they offer, that's my personal connection, is the freedom that a car gives me. Um, utili utility, utilitarian usage, for some people that's why a car matters. And then at the end, distinction. Yeah. Um, if you want to, it's like putting on a layer of clothing, for example. If you have a unique car, it makes you a unique person. Uh, so the cars we display in these areas all relate to these specific themes. Um, and right now the cars we have in here actually are, they're pairings of American cars and Japanese cars mm -hmm. from the same era that each relate to the themes in these sections. Oh, I see. We also recognize that throughout automotive history, two-wheeled vehicles have been part of the motoring landscape the whole way. And so we make sure that throughout the museum we try and incorporate uh, motorcycles wherever possible. So here we're in the innovation section. We have a Nera car, which, um, was about as inventive as you got in terms of just rethinking how, how mechanics would operate on a motorcycle at the time. And I, I just want to repeat, to at. it's near N-E-R, a car. Mm -hmm. Like the near nearly, a car. Mm -hmm. Like nearly a car. Mm -hmm. And what we're looking at is it's, it's just two wheels. I mean, by all account, it looks like a motorcycle, and I'm going to say even a little bit gurney-ish in that it's got a low center frame, and the engine is very low d too, but it has a uh, leather saddle seat above a gas tank that looks kind of like an oil bag, and then tallish handlebars. So I think this is just to get the center of center gravity down, down, down low. Exa yeah. Exactly. And the steering and suspension is pretty unique up here. Uh, if you look at how when you when you turn the handlebars there, what actually it does oh, right. down here and how it transmits that motion yeah. to the front wheel is very uh, So it doesn't have front unusual. forks. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nope. Well, not in the traditional sense. I guess you could call these forks in a sense, but they're parallel it's to the more ground. more like a car, exactly. actually. Yeah. Yep, it's and very, they very come unusual. in from the sides and, mm -hmm. and in uh, fact, are turning it's, the hub. It's, as we describe it, it was an attempt to make something as car-like as possible. Right. Mm -hmm. And yep. then double headlights on the sides of the fender, much like an old car. So probably to make it more familiar mm -hmm. to exactly. people. And I imagine there's some degree of that with the Gurney vehicle as well. Uh, the, somebody who's not necessarily a hardcore motorcyclist would be able to get on that and not feel like it's a completely foreign experience. And you'll actually see this idea of a motorcycle feeling like a car um, when we get later down to our first floor and we'll see a Porsche motorcycle that was built or designed um, with that in mind. This is really car. So the near car, this is a 1921 model and it's in really good condition, but it doesn't look like it's restored. Nope, it's, it's, it's original. Yep, exactly. That's beautiful. That is a good, good piece for the collection. Well, that's always, you know, an interesting decision-making process is what do you restore and what do you leave unrestored, now, right? what we have here is something that looks like if Craig Vetter and Bagel and um, a lawnmower all yeah. got together. Mm -hmm. 
It's a Salisbury Model 85. Um, as scooters go, it's about the most distinctively styled as you could get. It's something right out of the Jetsons, the it Space looks like Age. A bumper car. It looks like it looks like a bumper car. It very, is very a bumper car age. scooter. Mm -hmm. So it's a 1947 Salisbury Model 85 streamlined scooter. This mm -hmm. is beautiful. This looks restored to me. This one has been restored. And yes. in fact, uh, Elizabeth Taylor. We have a photo here. Elizabeth Taylor was known to use not this one, but a, a oh, right. Model 85 means of getting around um, studios when she did filming. It. Uh, it's you know what it is. It's a it's a mobility scooter with a giant rear end. And a lot of style. And you look good. Yeah, you look good a lot riding of style. If you compare it to other scooters of the era, they were a lot more utilitarian. Often they had sort of Art Deco or streamlined features, but they were usually far smaller, and mm -hmm. the, the bodies were far more compact, and they looked a little bit more. I mean, they were more minimalist, and this one is definitely not minimalist. It's uh, it looks like a rocket ship in a way. It really, even the the tail light yep. on the back mm -hmm. kind of is a cool yep. look to it. So. How much was this museum affected by the art of the motorcycle, the Guggenheim exhibit? Because that was really the first time that motorcycles were looked at as art. It's something I would say that we're aware of. We're aware of what happened there. We are constantly looking at the phenomenon of vehicles being presented in art museums. There's, there's something interesting that's happened there, not just with art of the motorcycle, but with uh, a pretty significant series of exhibits that have happened all around the United States with um, particularly Art Deco designed vehicles being right. put in art museums and those exhibits then becoming the most successful exhibits in that museum's history. Um, so we're aware of that and um, we haven't yet, we're still interpreting what that means for us. Uh, yeah. We don't see that phenomenon working with us because we're a car museum and mm -hmm. a lot of the things that are in display in those exhibits we actually have here and they don't generate the same response because you expect them to be here. Right. So we interpret that as Part of the appeal is you're seeing something you would never expect. An art museum is showing a motorcycle as a piece of art. That's crazy. I want to go see how in the world they could do that. Whereas if we brought those same motorcycles in here, a car museum is showing motorcycles or cars. It's not a, it's not a special thing. We're not saying something unique right. um, that's, that, that makes people think differently. So um, we're actually looking to do almost the opposite. And a lot of our museum is getting more into featuring art. <laughs> Uh, right. and other things that you would not expect at a car museum. Well, that makes what? sense having Paul involved in well, that because with his art background. Yep. And, and that's, a, to be honest, a little bit of what the Custom Revolution is, motorcycle exhibit is downstairs. It's part of, part of that. Now I see something over in the corner. Yeah, I was just eyeballing that. Yeah. The Yamaha VMAX Attention. Moto Cam from 1988 used by James Cameron to film True Lies and Terminator 2 and yes. a number of others. In fact, exactly. we were just, just got out of a meeting about this. Uh, really? We're looking to find original cameras from the period to outfit this. Yeah, so the VMAX already is a mm -hmm. really cool bike. They still Interesting make these, choice. don't they? they, they is there do. a current version of this? There's yeah. a newer version, but um, and what they've done here is built a sidecar platform on it that's bigger than a normal sidecar. And it has two seats, and on the back of it, it looks like a tall pole going up that might have been a... Um, I don't know if it's just stabilizer, if that was a mount for a camera or something. I believe that's a camera mount. Yeah. yeah, it's our interpretation that this is where the director would typically sit and this is where the cameraman would typically sit to operate the camera. So I can tell Liza, can Liza James, already wants one. You can see James Cameron there in one of the seats. Oh, killer. So this is purely functional for mm -hmm. filming, but I can see how you can have much more maneuverability mm -hmm. with a motorcycle and a sidecar rig mm -hmm. than you can with a car to exactly. get shots. And there are also, um, we're hoping to bring in at some point, there are purely motorcycle rigs as well without the sidecar where there's only the one rider and then there's a camera on a gimbal mounted out in the back um, that gives even more maneuverability than this would. Yeah, you see that commonly at mm -hmm. like Tour de France mm -hmm. where someone's yep. mounted on the yep. back and 
we actually made a short film mm -hmm. and we did that same technique on a scooter mm -hmm. yep but now that i see the sidecar rig this is really cool but again i'm fascinated by the choice of the yamaha v max it would not be what i would think mm -hmm. i know this is really cool Moto Cam Pursuit Special. Setup is not light when you think about what this thing's hauling under, right? It, it seems like it would be, and it, as we mentioned here on the sign, it's my understanding that this could also be flipped around and put the opposite direction on the other side. In fact, I believe here we are seeing it reversed, or we're seeing the we're at least seeing the we're at least seeing the seats reversed. Yes. Uh, yeah, so the seats can reverse. The seats can reverse. Yeah. So it can be you can the motorcycle can be anywhere within the the shot that were as required. It's great to see motorcycles being used. Yeah, like I said, we try in and the industry. We try and fit them in throughout. We have um, the original bat cycle, for example, at the other end. I have that model in the garage. Well, here's the real one. <laughs> oh, you're killing me! <laughs> wow, this is not from the movies. Uh huh. This is the original. This is the original from the television cycle. show. Yeah. So what from we, the television what we've show. done here is walked into our Hollywood gallery. <laughs> if you haven't hadn't noticed. Yeah. Um, we've moved out of what we had. We called our perspectives galleries, and now we're in our Hollywood gallery we everything we have here um, is an original um, this for example is the hero car uh, from back to the future the DeLorean not any of the not one of the replicas. replicas that have been made exactly and uh, this looks like the oh roads oh the roadster from Iron Man yep. one cool great Gatsby yes Bat oh Batman the bat pod from a recent uh, yes this is from the Christian Bale I no Dark Knight Rises the yeah. bat pod this is the thing that comes off the side mm -hmm. of yeah. the tumbler was it I believe so yeah it's called the tumbler, tumbler. Mm -hmm. and then we have one of the the winged warrior batmobile is this from this Clooney? Is, this is from um, the 1989 Keaton. yeah, yeah with Michael, Michael, Keaton, exactly. Michael Keaton but here this is special yep all right so this is yeah 1966 Yamaha YDS 3 bat cycle kind of a and mirror of the Yamaha down there two Yamahas different purposes this is really cool the thing that's really cool about this and and you know I have the model at the garage uh -huh. this scooter this is where Robin would sit in this sidecar. So this is, this is the classic bat cycle. It's got a lot of fiberglass on it. It's beautiful black white with the red pinstriping, and it has a sidecar that Robin would sit in with a giant wing on it. But this is an actual working little scooter, that like a tiny go kart that can shoot off of this and he can separate and go on his own way. That's right. But this is just beautiful fiberglass work. And this is great. This is great to see it in this condition. Now, do you know if this had to be restored? I can't I can't say for sure. If, I it, was, would guess if it was damaged and needed restoration. That this sat yeah. somewhere in a warehouse for a long time. It's likely. I mean, most, most vehicles of this type are fairly well abused in the process of filming and, and need some degree of of restoration. Well, you know what's interesting, Liza, is you know Vetter didn't come out with a windjammer fairing until what early 70s, 1970s, yeah. something like that. So this is 66 or 8. 19, so this this fairing is pre-Vetter. So that's, that's just right. the concept of that. Is, well, not is just that. Amazing. It's got a shroud over the front wheel, and I think all of that was cosmetic. Right. But I think function. This does supersede all the fairing bikes of the 70s. you didn't, you didn't 70s. see this stuff before then. This, you know, yeah. Before Vetter, you didn't see these type of fairings, really, and now you're seeing it a two years earlier. Do you know who made this? Is this a Ferris? A Barris, no. It was, a Barris, uh, Barris? Corky's Custom Studios. Corky's Custom Studios. Mm -hmm. This is beautiful. Corky knew his stuff. This is awesome. 
Yeah, like you said, the fiberglass work, I mean, this is just all hand-done hand fiberglass molds, and it's pretty amazing. I definitely want to circle back and drool on this. I brought a <laughs> rag, just so you know. I'll, <laughs> I'll wipe all the drool off. Um, <laughs> this is beautiful, and I hope it gets a lot of attention. And it it's does. interesting to see, you see the bike is still intact. It has the original headlight back there uh, inside the fairing. Um, other than adding a fairing and a front cowl over the the fender basically the seat and tail are customized did it have that that's i mean the pipes are a little different but this exhaust came out the same way yeah it looks it's extended they yeah. just threw an extension to into it, it to make it visible but you can see the original exhaust with another pipe shoved in and a screw mm -hmm. very simple again they weren't spending a lot of money then but this um, this is a beautiful, beautiful bike. Uh -huh. oh, I'm glad Definitely this is here. One that right there is Hollywood worth our trip down here. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yep. Uh, the next exhibit you said is Hollister. That will well, be we're looking at, uh, we're for gonna, that era. We're going to look at um, events that occurred there at that at mm -hmm. the gathering in the late 40s and how that shaped the future of motorcycle culture and the image of uh, uh, the image of. Um, that's when bikers became bad. Yeah, ex ex well, exactly. That's what that was the turning point. That was it. One image that was in a magazine mm -hmm. of the guy yeah. at Hollister with his feet up yeah. and a hundred beer cans around him, and then that's how they, yeah. you know, that, that was the beginning of it there. Well, what's interesting, that was the turning point that gave bikers a bad image. And that's mm -hmm. exactly where what we're looking at is where did that all come from? But there. what turned it around? Mm -hmm. Oh, exactly. Oh, yeah. the Honda. The Honda. Yeah. Cup. Mm -hmm. You meet yeah. the nicest people on yeah. a Honda. Yeah. So for us, this is like great to see all these mm -hmm. pieces of history in one. But isn't that the point of a museum like this? Is to we try and show every facet possible. We can't do it all at once, but we try and we try and. Uh, we try and convey as wide of an array of stories as we can at any given time. And what we're looking at here is a 1961 Honda 50. In our utility section, we're back in our perspectives area in the utility section. This is a car that became a useful means of, of moving themselves and other objects for millions and millions and millions of people around the world. Number one selling motorcycle yep. in the world. Yep. And here's an example of it being used. Uh, Oh, actually, I know. I thought this was a different image, but yeah. uh, there. From a large family. A large family. Yes. You see an entire household's worth of stuff on the back of one of right. these, uh, et cetera. Yep. Exactly. And they're still going today, yep. which is what's amazing. And it needs air in the tires. <laughs> <laughs> it's leaning because the air's the air's out. Got it. Mm -hmm. Another great representative, and I like the Touring windshield. It's got the full package on here. And I mean, the the chrome's all in great shape. Yeah, this one we did a little bit of restoration work on before mm -hmm. we brought it up for display. Yeah. Yeah, you could tell the restoration, but the original pieces like this plastic, yep. that's in really good it was condition. Mostly just cleaning that we don't really. Mm -hmm. good. There's little details like the storage for registration, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah, on the back of the license plate, so the, the glass well, tube or plexiglass tube. I hope. Mm -hmm. Great again to see this, and hopefully people learn the historical mm -hmm. significance yeah. of these. We have one more over here that's certainly worthy of, of taking a look at. Oh. The world's first motorcycle with four cylinders produced in quantity, an FN from Belgium, 1904. Wow. I don't this think is I've ever an inline four, very small displacement, too. So this is a 3.5 horsepower. It's not saying the displacement, it can't be more than. 125 maybe very very small yeah. yeah very total across four inline cylinders with a beautiful brass gas tank that is mounted underneath the the cross member of the frame i mean this is basically a bicycle mm -hmm. that was modified with an engine put in 
I can tell that this was not a bicycle modified, but they still were working with the same, the same basic frame framework, yeah, and the same suspension. Um, well, it looks interesting. Is it is it shaft drive on this no, it's side? Chain chain over here. What's what's this thing, or is that just the swing arm, basically the support? It, it almost looks like there's some. You're sort right. Of, it does look like right, like maybe the. The pedals get it going. And I'm then wondering if that's turning something like for a pump. Oh, like turning. Yeah, that's definitely pump. turning. That must be an oil like pump. Like an oil pump. Well, the other yeah. thing that, that catches my eye on this bike is the metalwork is beautiful. But if you look at even the way they bend the pipes, like the exhaust manifold coming out, all the pipes are you can you know they're hand they're mm -hmm. hand bent, but they're just the lines are gorgeous. The way everything flows. Or I even love the the tubing coming down from the gas tank with a curl in it. Mm -hmm. Looks it like something from a still. Drive. But isn't that that's really you know, shaft oh, so drive, that is shaft driven. Mm -hmm. So it's not taking the yes. All right. So this will be the collector transmission in there. And then braking is done with your feet. You're I'm right, because sure. there isn't a drive behind this that sprocket. So where's the rear rear brake? Is that do you do the brake with your feet? It might be a coaster brake. That's what I'm thinking. Like a whole lot there. That's where the coaster brake came from with those turn of the Since century. Since there is bikes. no front brake, I'm hoping. So I bet it is coaster brake. I mean, it, what's yeah. amazing about these old bikes? Like when we look at like those old Harleys and the Excelsiors, is just the hand built, you know, attention to detail chrome but just looking at like I can see the the tires are, are cracks I mean, you know these are old rubber or even just this is a detail that really stands out to me the rubber on mm -hmm. the pedals yep. that's really great to see something like that still surviving because I don't think you guys would replicate that it'd be difficult these yeah. days you can do just about anything if you have enough enough funds to go behind it, but it's certainly not easy in a lot of cases. Well, and you can always make parts, you know, on a on a on a computer pr mm -hmm. printer, basically yep. a 3D printer. You can make yep. parts or, or machine them, but to find yep. the original stuff. Yeah, it's very very challenging. Very different. Beautiful though. It's amazing stuff like this, you know, lasts. And these well, were actually built in pretty large quantity, especially for the era. 17,000 four-cylinder FNs were built. But again, four-cylinder. I mean, singles, yeah. Uh -huh. Twins. The twins came out about then, well, but to have some of those, like the Excelsior bikes and the other ones have four cylinders on them. Those inline fours. Mm, those came later, I think. Most everything had become a twin by that point. That's beautiful. And this has been in the collection a long time. For quite some a permanent. Time, yeah. Yep, we've had it longer than than many of the vehicles. Yeah. Nice. I think we can head down to the second floor, which is where the Custom Revolution exhibit is. Great. So. I'd love to ask you, you said you had something to do with bringing the Custom Revolution exhibit here. Yeah, we, we have a, a permanent motorcycle gallery. Uh, it's the Richard Varner Family Gallery, which you'll see in a minute. Um, and it's, like I said, is dedicated to motorcycles at all times. So every year we look for a new subject uh, to, to, or a new story to tell in there in re relation to the motorcycle. And one of the there's an interesting phenomenon we've noticed uh, at the museum, at least in the last decade, decade and a half, in our watching visitor responses to the things that we do. Mm -hmm. And that is there are two subjects that are challenging for the average visitor if they don't already have an interest in that subject. One of them is motorcycles. If you're not already a motorcycle enthusiast, you don't really engage in motorcycle exhibits. The other is race cars. If you're not a racing enthusiast, you kind of walk right past a race car. It doesn't, you, just, you don't drive them every day, you right. don't really relate to them, you don't connect with them. So I had become aware in the late 2000s of the, this phenomenon of, of what we call alternative customs when I lived in downtown Los Angeles. Right. Um, 
a friend of mine had gone to see a friend of his elsewhere in downtown and he came back and showed me some pictures he had on his camera of where he had just been and it was it turned out to be Ian Barry's workshop is where he was and Ian Barry was in the midst of building one of his Falcon motorcycles mm -hmm. and I looked at the pictures of this motorcycle and I personally before that time did not have a huge interest in motorcycles I had never ridden them I just didn't connect with them I was a sports car guy um, but I saw this motorcycle and it in one moment it changed my thoughts about what a motorcycle could be because that to me was artwork and I, I'm interested in art and all those kinds of things and I suddenly sensed this crossover. Um, I didn't at the time recognize that that was the beginning of a movement or the beginning of a phenomenon or the beginning of really a huge change in the way cust motorcycle customization would evolve. Uh, right. But that was the beginning of my interest in these motorcycles. Uh, in the years since then, I've become more familiar with this sort of concept of alternative customs, this idea of artisanal customization of motorcycles um, that are no longer in the style that used to be associated with customization, moving away from the chopper. There were boxes. Yeah. You had yep. your chopper and mm -hmm. of the 90s. Yep, exactly. Um, you know, you'd have to start with a custom frame, mm -hmm. build it from there, which came from the late 40s, mm -hmm. from the actual bobbers and, yep. and customization of the American bikes when yep. the men came back from the war. You had the cafe racers that came from London in the 60s, but there wasn't that much more customization going on or innovation right. in, in the art. It was more functional. And then people started realizing they could take existing bikes, not just American bikes, mm -hmm. which everyone had been doing, and they could modify them. Mm -hmm. and they could go many different directions with them. That's key, is the many different directions. They, they didn't all have to look like an Arlen Ness bike or a right. Jesse James bike. They could be really anything you wanted. Exactly. Well, it's interesting. I think if you look at some of the current guys doing it, you know, some some people we know, Matt Harris, or some of the guys that are doing the the stuff now, and a lot of the big V twins, they're doing stuff all sorts of crazy mm -hmm. things. You're seeing guys go back to the the old board racers from the early, you know, 19. 1915, 1920s, yeah. that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. and and so it is pretty amazing what it's blown up mm -hmm. to. You know, these guys I like is is there some of them like the artesian. You know, they're making tools to make tools. Mm -hmm. It's a craftsmanship. That's what it is. And these guys, I mean, you know, they'll sit for days and weeks doing a gas tank. You know. Yeah, and talk about the craftsmanship. Wow. Uh, I mean, all the bikes in this exhibit are pretty amazing, but the level of detail, especially when it's on display in a museum like this, you can really get your nose into stuff and the detail is immaculate. Oh yeah. And, and the, the thing's all about detail, but, but before maybe we step back a little bit for a broader perspective and, you know, what is the custom revolution bike show? Well, you know, we've talked a little bit, it was curated by Paul Dorlins and it's at the Peterson and it actually runs, uh, through March 2019, mm -hmm. but you know one way to think of it, and you know the the terminology may sound hokey, but it's you know an avant-garde uh, display of of builds from independent builders around the world. You know, so you see old engine and new chassis, you see old chassis with, with new engines. You know, and the other thing that this show provides is in one location you get a chance to see the most really the, some of the most influential builders of the modern era. 
and it, it kind of represents a transition. You know, Liza, I know this was back in your heyday, uh, back <laughs> the, <laughs> the oh, 90s yeah. chopper scene, yeah. you know, when that blew up, um, you know, and then now this kind of is transition to this, uh, you know, s- s- craftsman style motorcycle building. And a lot more purpose built. I find. But the thing I liked about this exhibit, too, is the wide array. There was things that are classic in origin. There were things that were modern. There were things that looked like origami. Right. And it truly was like like worldwide. I mean, you had designers like Ian Barry, uh, Shinya Kimura, Revival Cycles, Roland Sands, motorcycles that came in, builders that came from Spain, um, Australia. Ireland, France, Germany, Vietnam, Indonesia, and just a couple of the bikes that were there. You had Ducati, Yamahas, Vintage Harleys, Black Shadow, Triumphs, BMW, Altas, and Viagustas. It, it was it was so well represented. Yeah, the side by side 900 SS Ducatis that looked nothing alike. You know, it's funny that, and that's worth talking a little bit more about. And but it it helped illustrate, and even the way they were displayed. Um, how you could have two identical motorcycles mm-hmm. that could come out so differently. And again, the attention to detail is just unbelievable. Yeah, and there's something about having it in a museum setting. Some of these bikes we've seen before, like the BMW Alpha, we've seen it at the Quail and at the One Show. It's making the rounds. Mm-hmm. But to see it here in this exhibit was kind of a, a different thing. Um, the way that the bikes were on display was really unique. And this is something that I think Brian's expertise came in working with other people. There were some on, uh, how do I say, they were set up like they were leaning on an angle, like on a racetrack. Mm-hmm. And there were others that were just simply on podiums, as you would expect. There were the two that were hanging Upside down, or basically from their re- from their front wheels. Yeah, front wheels hanging straight down. And uh, yeah, but as we walked out of the elevator onto this floor, there was something that caught my eye. And the first bike that you see, it was suspended from cables from the ceiling, so it was up off of the ground. So you were really able to get in and under and around every bit of it and take a look. Because the detail was amazing. Yeah, so this bike started out as a 1950 Black Shadow. And it was put together by Ian Barry and his L.A. Falcon Motorcycles team. And it was really, like Liza said, a sight to see. It was pretty awesome. So uh, let's go back to Brian. And this is where he's telling us more about this awesome Vincent. He took an engine and some wheels and every other thing on this bike he reimagined and, and metalworked from scratch. Every, even the most minute piece and part on here, he's, he's formed himself out of unique metals all from scratch using his own tooling. Let's take a minute and just start with, before we start describing what mm-hmm. it is, what was the base bike that, that this started as? Or was it just the engine? Uh, this was a Vincent, the highest performing bike in the world. It's highly modified. There's not really anything left that hasn't been touched. But I also want to point out something that I'm enjoying. And this is the fact that it is not sitting on a platform or the floor. Mm -hmm. This was Ian's idea. It's an extension of the custom aesthetic on the bike is a custom display, something you wouldn't expect. Rethinking rethinking everything in every last aspect, including how it's even seen by the public. Exactly. It's being suspended by cables and is sitting about two feet above the floor, just floating in air, which really lets you see more of the bike than you normally would. 
and it's hard to describe. This is just metalwork craftsmanship at its best. There's fins and there's scallops and there's custom routing of all sorts of things. Uh, even just the side, the side stand is completely custom and beautiful, polished aluminum, and a little bit of leather work. And you know, we make fun of hipsters and their brown mm -hmm. leather, whatever. Yeah. But what that represents is craftsmanship. Mm -hmm. yep. And that's something I actually do appreciate when I see brown leather on mm -hmm. some, because yeah, it sure. usually ties in. And that's, I think, one of the big things that shifted in the late 2000s with motorcycle customization is it went away from craftsmanship was always there, but mm -hmm. image, I think, was top priority. It was about conveying an, a certain image and a style, a distinctive style, whereas when this sort of motorcycle and this form of customization started to started to proliferate, um, craftsmanship became far more important and little almost invisible details became just as important as the very visible details. Um, and there came a little bit more of a balance of image and, and craft. One, one thing I've noticed talking with these guys is I think who they build these bikes for themselves first of all, mm -hmm. but then they also know that other these, these these custom bike builders are also going to come take a look at mm -hmm. it and they know what to look for you know mm -hmm. which welds are difficult or yep. which things are hard to figure out so i would think in the back of your mind you know someone that really knows what they're talking about is going to kind of come behind and check out your work and i think we all like to feel really proud of what we do and it certainly shows in this motorcycle absolutely and here's something too i find interesting about this exhibit as we're looking down the road bikes it's very hard to date it Mm -hmm. You have things that come across as very uh, vintage mm -hmm. inspired and there are things that are very modern inspired and there are things that are inspired from different eras. It's across the board and that's something that I do like about this, this new custom trend. Mm -hmm. That diversity I think helps it be appealing. Uh, to a, a wide array of audiences. There's something something here for just about anyone to connect with. Right. Now, we're actually familiar with this BMW right here. Mm -hmm. have, have sat on this. Mm -hmm. In an unusual fashion, the way that you sit on it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it is very hard to turn when it is not running. The turning radius is only a couple inches. <laughs> yep, yep. So <laughs> this well, it's is got the, the crazy steering mm -hmm. thing. I can't even describe how the steering this works. This is the BMW Alpha. This is one we've seen at the Quail. We've seen it at the, at one, the one Show. Yeah. This is a piece of art now. Didn't it have a, didn't have a, no, it had the stirrups in the back, right. Mm -hmm. And it's actually really hard to stretch out that far when you're sitting on the seat and you got your chest on top of the engine, which uh, is a K, K engine. Is this like a K100 or a K, I think it's the K75. K75. So it's a K75 engine. Um, but again, this is just a beautiful bike. And we talked to him before and asked him why, mm -hmm. why build this? And it was just a passion and an art for him. It had nothing to do with function. Mm -hmm. it was and about he, had, he had come across a design that he had found, I believe, on the internet um, that com that was so compelling to him that he he decided he needed to make it a reality. Exactly. But you still get some touches of Art Deco in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We bring Bex along because she lets people let her sit on their bikes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> This is great, but right next to it, this is something that's kind of blowing my mind a bit, because it is unlike anything I've ever seen. Anything I've ever seen. Oh, I'm gonna try. It's an okay. electric scooter, believe it or not. I'm gonna try and describe this. Okay, what we're it's looking at. It's a stealth at electric scooter. <laughs> is an E Lisa bad, and it's a BMW frame. Elisabeth, so, it's a play on words in German, Elisabeth yeah. is Elizabeth, but the E is hyphenated there to, uh, to signify the electric propulsion. Okay, 
So what this is, is a scooter, but it doesn't look like a scooter. If, and I if think it anything. Has, it has stealth technology to, <laughs> to, to go through radar. It's or so it looks. <laughs> what we're looking at, so this is electric, but it's stolen parts from a BMW, obviously. The rear swing arm, pieces of the frame. I think the front forks and suspension. However, it's, okay, the whole front end is encapsulated around I'm not sure what this is made of. Is it? It is fiberglass or ABS or something that's then been sprayed with that black texture paint that's used, say, on like a lot of Harley bed engines, liner right? Or that sort of bed thing. liner. Yep. But it has multiple ang geographic angles to it, so there isn't a flat, smooth surface. It's. It almost looks like an Escher painting popping out at you. So that's why it's hard to describe. Um, well, and, a, and a lot of it is just batteries. It seems like there's a lot of battery so on this thing. This is, so then it's built, the whole rest of the bike from the handlebars back is a giant aluminum casing. If you look at an engine case of a square engine, right? Um, uh, wait, is this this isn't a case from a car, is it? I believe it's batteries. It's encasing batteries. It's encasing yeah. batteries, but mm -hmm. this yeah. aluminum case looks like a giant like a transmission case. Exactly case. from a car, an exactly. exceptionally large or a race car transmission, mm -hmm. something this, along those this lines. This bike is lies. It's a dragster. Yeah. You got it from the back. Yep, it's a drag bike. It's got a it's flat an, it's an rear wheel. Good luck beating the electric drag bike. Yep. And it's got a lot of melted rubber on the underside of the rear cowl. So this thing has been on the track. Yeah, and it's lit so, up to me. There's tires worn through. This is crazy. This is oh, it's I origami. It, I bet it will. That's why it's origami. Influenced by origami. He was influenced by a particular ceramic cup from the 1920s or 30s that his one of his parents owned that was designed with an origami influence with the 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 paper folds built into the ceramics. You can and almost I bet say. This thing will rip your arms off. You can almost say that this is a very complicated, minimalist project. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I bet when you get down to it, it's quite simple. You got an electric battery, now you, but you got an electric, where's the electric motor? It's gotta be down it's here. It's gotta be in here, so it has, still has a oh, shaft wait, the drive. the motor is gonna be here. Normally the motor would be right here. The motor's gotta be that, behind that. So the motor's Motor doesn't have there. to be that big. No, so the motor's in here, right? And then it's yeah. somehow transferring it to the shaft. And controllers. That's really cool. How did you guys find this? Uh, Paul found it. Really? Carl, as the guest creator, was able to locate every one of these for us, uh, and uh, then we just made the arrangements to get them here. So let's cover that. So this was kind of your idea. You wanted to bring wanted a to, new I wanted exhibit. to find something that would appeal to anybody, and I had monitored this culture since I became aware of Bike Exif. I okay. started to realize there's a whole lot more to this, this phenomenon than just Ian Barry and his bikes. Right. And I found myself so fascinated by the designs that I was seeing on on that website that um, the more I learned that I realized that if that could appeal to me and it could change my perceptions of what a motorcycle could be, I could see it doing the same for others. Uh, and so I think if you walk through the two bikes we looked at, I think you'd agree that you don't have to care or have any knowledge of a motorcycle to want to stop and stare and just say, what in the world what? is this spectacular thing? Exactly. Uh, you, you can care about mechanics. You can care about design, aesthetics, even aircraft. This looks like the stealth fighter. Mm -hmm. you can, it's a curiosity. It's beautiful. It's so many things beyond just a motorcycle. Well, and Brian, I think you, you've touched on it a number of times, whether you're into motorcycles or not. Mm -hmm. If you appreciate art or if you art, appreciate design, thoughtful design, you could any of this stuff just blows your mind. Yeah, I mean, and that was the goal. That was what we aimed to do here. And just in this exhibit, I'm I mean I'm seeing Harley, uh, Moto Guzzi, so um, Mem Via Gusta. I'm seeing a lot of different engines. It's not 
it's not just one style or trend it was everything and i don't want to go into too much detail because there's we could talk for hours about these bikes we're going to walk around take a look at these enjoy them so so i have a question you may have touched on this when i was salivating over there but you know the the bikes are displayed in really interesting ways like ways we've never seen before we've been to a lot of shows can you talk again about the concept on how you guys want to display them you got the rice race bikes look like they're leaned over you got that ones but what was the idea behind in general, we, we try and find a diversity of ways of displaying things because it's just simply more interesting. Um, so we have some on these platforms, they're plinths like you might see a sculpture in an art museum. Um, we have this, we call this our island uh, down the middle, which is a permanent fixture that we, we, no matter what exhibit we put in here, we always will feature motorcycles on this island. Um, I had this, what I call the racing rack built uh, back here, which for uh, occasional exhibits, we'll mount bikes on there and it allows us to hang them. We actually, they're, they're, they're cabled to the wall in the back and it allows us to hang them at different angles uh, through a rear mount and uh, it can end up conveying a sense of motion when you tilt a bike on, uh, on its side it, it has totally a very does. different feel than a bike static on a platform back here you'll end up seeing their bikes hung very unconventionally it just it's a lot more interest to the display when it's not the same thing over and over and over again well like I said most most shows you go to display you know you just walk and they're all right there but mm -hmm. like now it's like just having these elevated and the, the engines right in your face mm -hmm. you're not squatting down looking at this thing yeah really really amazing we try and always do that and this this time around um, the idea of a certain aspects in particular hanging these two vertically the way we are um, was another one of Ian Barry's ideas he assisted us with coming up with ideas on how we could do things for this exhibit and He's the one who first said, why don't we hang a couple of them vertically? And, and uh, that's, that's the kind of thing I like to do. So it didn't, uh, didn't take much to convince me to give it a shot. And so we did. For me, this is turtle upside down. It's yeah. killing me. And it, 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 it's a little... Well, the interesting thing is I saw these pictures online. And they don't do any of the bikes here justice. But these bikes that are, that are hung vertically, basically, by their front wheels, it's a trip. It's, very, it's not disorienting. But like Liza said, it's really interesting to well, see. Way better in person. And the choosing these two bikes that are very horizontal bikes. Mm -hmm. they are, there are a lot of similarities between them, not just in their aesthetics, but in their uh, geographic origin. And putting them mm -hmm. vertically is just gives you a different angle to see some which you catch all new things when, so when the builders of this bike who, yeah. uh, this was built in jakarta indonesia they they came here for the opening from jakarta and uh they didn't know how exactly it was going to look and when they all walked in their their first comment was i have never looked at my own motorcycle that way before so they were able to see it their own product uh, in yeah. a way they had not previously so we're going back, you have this mm. idea to do this exhibit. How did you uh, connect with Paul Dorlins? A number of uh, museum staff were familiar with him. I was aware of him through monitoring uh, Bike Exif and from reading about just sort of this emerging culture of, of alternative customs. Um, I believe it was our uh, executive director, Terry, uh, who first put us in touch with him. We had a call with him and I made a pretty auda audacious uh, proposal that he put this together for us in a very tiny number of months. and. He thought about it and uh, uh, for better or worse, for his own sake, uh, ended up accepting accepting the proposal and it ended up being a, a, quite a challenge to rush together in, in what amounted to about two to three months. Uh, wow, because that was another question I was yep. going to have. How long does it take to curate something like this? I would not say normally it would take that long. Um, in this case, it was put together extremely fast. Uh, we began work yeah. on this in, I would say, really began work on it in January and it was open in March. Because, Jim, I actually talked to our local museum at one point about doing a motorcycle exhibit and they said they were two years That's very behind. typical. Yep, that's very typical. Wow, two years. So I just assumed that this was a long time in the making. 
I'm glad it looks that way yeah. or that you have that impression, but it, it was a pretty fast process getting everybody on board. So are these bikes from all over the world then? All over the world. I believe six or seven different com uh, countries are represented here, uh, different continents. We have a bike we brought over from the island of Corsica in the Mediterranean, awesome. Vietnam, Indonesia. Um, we have a bike from Ireland, um, a number of them from Germany. So we had uh, airplanes and boats coming from all over the planet to bring these in. Were there any nightmares wow. in the logistics or in the shipping? Um, we learned a lot about customs uh, and Yeah, how do you strap it down? Well, yeah, yeah. That, just customs rules in general and, and right. how those all work. Um, we only encountered one issue and that was with the bike here. Um, all of the bikes in this exhibit that were coming from overseas have engines that are older than 25 years old, which exempts them mm -hmm. from EPA and DOT restrictions. Um, this new engine, yeah. and we went about importing it without even realizing or thinking about that aspect of it. It got here to the United States, was immediately cordoned off as right. not exempt of those things. None of that paperwork had done. So essentially, had in storage at LAX for a couple weeks while we absolutely rushed through some things that we didn't think were actually going to happen because the turnaround times on those things can be well over a month. Right. And we essentially had decided that this wasn't going to make it. Um, but we got some great people uh, helping us at DOT and EPA that approved, approved its uh, entry and we were able to get it here about two days before opening. Well, and it's a two-stroke yeah. stroke is another thing to note, so it yeah. probably was a reason Yeah, why. specifically it's a 2008 Scorpio 225. So this is a model that wouldn't be available here. No, it's probably just an Indonesian Which is, available. That's why it is not made for the United States, yeah. so it yeah. wouldn't be able to come in. Um, but interesting that even though it's for a museum exhibit, mm -hmm. they're still going to have issues yeah. with that. Well, only if we only have issues... If it's well, actually, we don't technically have any issues. As a museum, we're able to bring anything in. If it's older than 25 years, it's it's incredibly simple because it's immediately by default exempt from those requirements. Right. Uh, if it's less than 25, it's still exempt. We just have to go through the process of special approval, and it's another extra month usually on top. So, looking at an exhibit, and it's called One Bike Two Ways. So, this is the 900 SS Ducati. I've had one myself, taken two completely different directions. There's nothing hardly anything to compare that these are the same bike now i'm just curious again as from the curating uh, standpoint uh is it w your responsibility to come up with these signs and the stories yes, that explain yes. it all well paul would be the one that does the writing um, i will guide him since i'm the one familiar with the space mm -hmm. i know that we have a corner that can support the display of two vehicles um that's a great place for a comparison for example um we work together on coming up with the idea that we'll take two bikes that are you know based on the same based on the same original bike and we'll use this as a as a place to compare two things. Uh, it's Paul that actually is familiar with them and he does the research and, and does the writing to draw the comparison. So let's um, talk for anyone who's interested in coming to see this exhibit. Mm -hmm. How long is it running? Through a day in March of 2019. I don't I can't tell you offhand. So it's gonna be here day. a while. Yes. March 2019. Yeah, plenty of time to come see it. I want to make sure everyone knows yep. there's an opportunity to come here to the Peterson. Come see this exhibit, but not just this exhibit, see the other bikes that are here. Like I said, I'm still I can't wait to go back to the Batman bike. It, it gives me the warm fuzzies when mm -hmm. I look at it. This is really awesome. Oh yeah, Jim is pointing out on one of the Ducatis, there's 
Are these, these I don't know what they are. I'm assuming they're brake reservoirs. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, so this is about as unconventional as it yeah. gets. I was gonna say so. We're looking at the Pedardo 215. It was by um, El Soltorio in Spain. So it's a 93 Ducati 900 SS, and you would not recognize it at all. Um, it looks like it's built for the Dakar. Yeah, we'll take a picture of it. Dakar, and then riding on Mars. When you look at the top of the tank, it looks like an aircraft instrument cluster. So we'll put mm -hmm. a picture yep. on this um, on the It was modeled page. after a helicopter, helicopter controls. That's, That's what it, yeah, mm -hmm. totally could see that. And the, everything you look at this bike is just wild. It is cool. I like this thing. Well, cool. So I want to, I want to come back and, and do these, but is there anything else here that we should see and mention? Yeah, let's just go down real quick to our Porsche exhibit and I'll show you something that one might not expect to see. Okay, you have my, my curiosity now. Okay, so, Jim, you got to take pictures because... Yeah, like I said, in every exhibit, if we can tie, if we can, uh, if we can bring two-wheeled, three-wheeled, other sorts of vehicles into it, we always make an effort to, to, to broaden the story beyond you know, the typical just cars. Um, very few people would ever expect that Porsche or a Porsche affiliate would have experimented with motorcycle design and motorcycle construction, which is what we have here. This is a Porsche design motorcycle concept from 1979. This is kind of hurting me to look at. What the heck so am this, I looking at? Because it is not not resembling a motorcycle or a Porsche. It's like its own thing. It is its own thing. And this actually can relate a little bit back upstairs to the Nera car, maybe a bit to the Gurney motorcycle in that this was essentially designed in the 1970s in Europe. The cities were becoming very congested. Pollution was becoming pretty substantial. Polluting automobiles were not the future. That the more people you have in a very condensed area, maybe we need to come up with a way to get people to go around on smaller, more efficient two-wheeled vehicles. However, most people are familiar with driving a car. The comforts of a car, they're familiar with an air-conditioned or heated experience. They're familiar with crash protection. When they drive through a puddle in the rain, they don't get muddy. So this was an idea of taking a lot of the things that people find appealing or familiar with driving an automobile and trying to translate that into an exposed two-wheel experience. So you see everything is fairinged in so that when you drive through mud, you drive through water in the rain, your clothes don't get wet, they don't get dirty. When you say fairinged in, the wheels are 95% mm -hmm. covered, just the lower bottom of the tire sticking out, and completely. It reminds me too like of the BMWs and the fact that you're so protected. Like if you look at the way your legs are protected from the wind and the rain and mm -hmm. you're the, you know, you're the around your legs are mm -hmm. protected. I mean, everything is, is, mm -hmm. is protected in this. I'm, I'm just gonna say though, um, I expect more from Porsche. This is an ugly bike. This is 1979 and all the problems they answered were answered by Vespa in the 50s. The Vespa had that shroud so you could go to work, not get wet or dirty. You would think that Porsche would be more that styling and performance, but this is functionality. It's, it's pure functionality. Yeah. So, there is some aesthetic. It only has a unique aesthetic, that's for sure, but it's uh, the, the aesthetic is, is derived from functionality very, now, very much. It says Porsche. Who's the designer? Do you know? Uh, I don't think I could tell you the specific designer at Porsche Design. Right. Uh, Porsche Design Studio um, employs numerous designers. It was founded by Ferdinand Alexander Porsche, uh, and he was certainly responsible for a large number of the designs there, but they do employ other designers as well. But we know after talking to like designers like Darren Cates, who worked for BMW, that 
these designers. They are artists and they're able to take these, they're given certain time and budget to create things that most of us never see. Mm -hmm. yes. And it's kind of cool to see some that did come to light because yeah. we know that there's things created all the time mm -hmm. that no one is aware of. Yep, and this actually lives at Porsche Design in a tiny, tiny little town in the middle of the Alps in Austria, uh, sitting in a hallway is yeah. where it lives. So unless you go all the way to Zelanze, Austria, uh, you're never going to see this. There is there is something there. I do love the, the fairing. I love the integrated turn signals into the fairing well, and the controls. Like even. You know what I mean? Yes. That reminds me a lot of the BMW K75RT, actually. Very similar. Like a dusty blue. Mm -hmm. But it's cool that you have this here as part of the Super Porsche cool. exhibit. You know, so I just noticed being on this floor of the museum, Brian, is that we're in the artistry mm -hmm. area. That theme seems to carry throughout the museum. When mm -hmm. you're in an area, it's, it's... On the first floor, the third floor, that is, where we first started, uh, is what we call our history floor. So mm -hmm. you can sort of jump back in time a little bit, um, look at the evolution of the automobile. Uh, the second floor is our industry floor. Um, the motorcycle, we talked about the artistry of the motorcycles upstairs, but and we, what we didn't talk about is that concept of those custom, uh, alternative custom motorcycles motorcycles and the effect that they've had on the motorcycle industry. They came about at a time when the motorcycle industry was in some ways tanking in terms of ridership and purchasing and the motorcycle companies turned to these artisanal Builders. builders yes. for inspiration on how to attract new audiences. Yamaha so, has been doing that. Yes. And BMW, a lot of them, mm -hmm. um, they are in direct contact with a lot of these builders uh, for for advice on the type of thing that's appealing to a younger audience. And so it's not just an art story; it's definitely an industry story. These guys aren't out on their own just just um, you know, tinkering with bikes. It's affecting all the big names. Harley. Yeah. Everybody. Harley. Well, like you yep. mentioned, Yamaha. Yamaha yep. are, Yamaha's got their yard built program, mm -hmm. right? And they had a bunch of those. What the SCRs? Those flat alternative mm -hmm. different mm -hmm. types of flat track at the one show. Or you can even look at Arlen Ness when Victory came to him. Mm -hmm. And this is a guy who had just been designing his own bikes mm -hmm. and have a company like Victory say, we want you to design our, our regular bikes. Mm -hmm. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So that's the industry floor. Um, and here we are on the artistry floor where we look at um, the automobile as, a, as either a, a work of art or as an inspiration for art um, in, in many different aspects. You'll see things awesome. presented a little differently down here. Interesting. I mean, I mean, we're talking about motorcycles, but you look, everywhere you look in this place, every little, every single car is just amazing. But I was looking at some of these Porsche, this Porsche Rally car back there. Yeah, I, know. I mean, it's just awesome. Um, if you want to go down really quick to the vault, we can see what yeah. the situation is with the motorcycles down I'd love there. To. They're moving everything around, and uh, we can take a look at. Appreciate that. Can take a look at what's where right now. Okay, Jim, I have to ask you, what did you think of the Porsche motorcycle? I liked it. I think I liked it a lot more than you did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think like a lot of things at the Peterson, it it's there because it demonstrates innovation and really cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how you describe it, except a, a very like Tron looking, heavily fairinged, um, you know, I don't know how you describe it. It was 1979, I think. But here's something that's cool, and this is just yet another reason to go to the Peterson. This bike, most people never see. I, I think he, he said that it lives at the Porsche home somewhere on top of a mountain yeah. in a vault or something. Yeah, Mount people Porsche. don't see it, and uh, the Peterson was able to get it and have it in the room with all these other Porsches. They had an entire Porsche exhibit that also included furniture. So 
it, it was neat to see it. I didn't know it existed. And because there was only one ever made, mm-hmm. um, it really doesn't exist. And, and it's cool to see because you can see where, um, you know, when you talk about people that are on the kind of the cutting edge of building motorcycles, where, yeah, it may not be something you really love or you might ride every day, but you can probably see, like, when you look at the wind protection and the rain protection that was offered by that that motorcycle you see components like that in modern day bmws and things like that so it's nice it's cool to see yeah it just added to the element of a little bit of everything and like that's really cool (laughs) exactly so this is where though this is where the tour got really interesting we talked earlier about trying to get into places that we shouldn't be. Yep, behind closed doors. And this was one of our goals. I said, I said, Jim, there's a vault. I'd love to see it. And I said, hmm? <laughs> <laughs> so Brian was nice enough to take us down there. Now, we had to edit out some of the stuff. We cannot tell you everything that's in the vault. It is a vault after all. It is a vault. But um, one of the highlights was we were just walking by and they had the... Indian scooter next to the uh, Harley scooter, and I've heard of the Harley Topper. Didn't mm-hmm. never heard of an Indian scooter. Come to find out, yeah, um, very, very, very rare. It was one of three. Uh, I think, yeah, well, yeah. I think it may be the only one left. And that was cool though, because that was left over from their Harley Indian exhibit. And so things get put down into the vault. This is also where they're taking in new items that are being donated or things that don't fit the current exhibit. So we really got to see everything that they had. Yeah, and it's literally a vault. It's in the basement. It is in the basement. And, it yeah, it was really cool. But one of the things I was fascinated with, when we came out of the elevator down into the basement, and we're going down a corridor, and there's a chain-link fence blocking this room, and what is in this room that's so heavily guarded? Bookcases with, these are automotive manuals, repair manuals. It's it's like the Library of Congress for <laughs> automotive <laughs> manuals. And I was just beside myself. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, if you're into that kind of stuff, which I think a lot of us are, you, you just would nerd the f out on that thing because you look behind, you're just like, oh, I want to go in. Yeah, because you know, there's not like you know Buick Cutlasses and shit in there, or maybe the coolest, but it's you know, each one just has a whole story on its own. The fact that they're just saving it and and valuing them is really really cool. So that's where we come in. We're gonna go back to Brian giving us the tour and. I get a little excited about manuals. Wow, the library. Are those manuals? So we have well over an acre. It's uh, I think between one and two acres of underground storage down here. Whoa. I know what this is. These are pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, solar yeah. car. The competition, cool. yeah. I love the smell. Oh. What? 
I know. The Indian? Yeah, yeah they, this they is, made a scooter. Um, we just took out our Harley versus Indian exhibit that sort of was a history of the rivalry between Harley versus Indian, and we looked at not just their better known motorcycles, but also at little child's motorcycles, yeah. and scooters. Each, each company produced a scooter at one point. Is it okay to take pictures yeah. down here? Yeah. Can you make sure you get a picture of that, Jim? Yeah, yeah these were up on display. Back, so. These were on yeah. display until a uh, month and a half or so ago. But again, a lot of people don't realize that they had the top. Oh, for sure. This, that is, they this made one's them. incredibly rare. The Indian, I think they these only made like one or two of these. 63, what is the topper? That sounds about right. Yeah. I think one or two. Of the Indian, wow. yeah, a very tiny number, and this might be the only one left Yeah, in the world. I've heard of the topper. I haven't seen this. That's why I was like, wait a minute. That's brilliant. Wow. I love it's still got that same kind of big design, the big rear end, you know. Mm -hmm. So is this an electric? Uh, it's a gas powered. It is a gas, mm -hmm. okay. Yep. I just saw the lack of controls and thought, mm -hmm. maybe. Bitching. So you guys are sort of constantly rotating things. Yeah, we here. always, right now we're actually completely redoing our, we're finalizing the redo of our vault, our underground vault experience. These are employee projects. Ah, over I'm here. looking at that. Yeah, like, wait a minute. That's like a little... Old dirt bike. Yeah, old dirt bike. I think it's a Triumph. It might have been a Triumph. It might be. It's tiny. Uh, out, oh. So over here, you'll yeah. see... Um, yeah, over here you'll see Cushman, where we have our motorcycles. We do have a moment where there isn't a tour going on, so uh, you can take a look at what we have. Yeah. This is pretty much the extent of our motorcycle collection. Um, there are a few other loaned motorcycles that we haven't yet sent back to their owners over here. Oh uh, yeah, there's a nice custom. Beautiful, and then an RS. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is that? Is that the bat cycle? No. It's not a movie bike, is it? Oh, so, and this is on, oh yeah, so this it was built off of an NS, I think. The Honda. Possible. I know. Yeah, I know the, it's about an this automatic. One. Should be an automatic. Interesting to see one of the movie bikes. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. It has little stickers for like, you know, when they, I don't know, green screen. I don't, I don't know movie stuff, but. When you get up close, you realize the detail is not mm -hmm. as good as you expected. Yeah. And they're well, just putting stuff over. Mm -hmm. This has a story. So check it out. This, that's the siren, right? So mm -hmm. that goes up against the tire. Mm -hmm. it's got a fire yeah, you must be able to pull a lever and then it brings yeah, that over it to pulls touch it the... Over. Mm -hmm. This almost looks... I have never Corbin, seen this before. Like something Cor my Corbin, Corbin would do. No, it does. Yeah, the it looks very Corbin-esque. It really flows, really but does it's a gas old. tank. This is, I'm going to say like early 80s. But I mean, look at the, the gas tank and the mirrors. I have no idea what this is or where it came I from. I mean, it's got Kuryakin yeah. grips, which are modern. Uh, so this was a functioning bike recently. 2010 registration. Yeah. It's got a, most likely a Corbin custom seat with an ostrich. DOG? DNG. Oh, DNG, I'm not familiar with them. DNC customs. But that is cool fiberglass work. And so you guys have people here who do full restos no, on motorcycles? No, we, we don't do full restorations. Um, we do basic mechanical work here, but we don't do restorations. So who do you send your motorcycles to? Uh, every, if we're going to do a restoration, which is fairly infrequent, um, we, we pick a, a restorer based on the specific project. We have many people we work with around the United States, in particular Southern California, and, and they're custom selected based on their expertise. We're restoring 
um, a, uh, we're storing a car called a Munz Jet, for example, a really uh, very unusual 1950s car, and we're sending it to be restored by the Munz Jet expert. Um, the right. dude. Yeah, the dude. Yeah. So and with that, we kind of we, we do that with a lot of That's a lot of cool. our cars. Well, and you're in the right spot. Yeah. Southern California is where all this stuff is. So, can you tell us a little bit about why a bike is usually donated? That's a difficult question to answer. It really, it varies with every particular donor. Um, a donor will acquire, or a donor will, will offer a bike to us. Well, for example, the movie studio will offer a bike to us because it's no longer in use and they recognize that they could store it in a warehouse for 20 years and have to figure out what to do with it down the road when it no longer is significant. Or they could um, leave it with us where there's a good chance it'll be on display and appreciated, be appreciated right. by many people. Um, a lot of people are calling collections or selling collections and they recognize that the museum is a place that's high profile enough that whatever they give to us will be again be appreciated by a, a larger number of people than it would be in just about any other location so um, they see that as a favorable thing um, there are there are there are many many reasons why people would donate motorcycles to us i just assume somebody dies sometimes but that's that's there are definitely that's i would not say that's the predominant reason yeah. yeah. There are things that are bequeathed to us, for well, sure. It's amazing. All these motorcycles have had num a number yeah. of owners and probably yeah. hundreds of stories they could tell. Oh, Because the sure. motorcycles outlive us all the time. Yep. What I'm not seeing here are bikes that are historically significant, like something that won Isle of Man. Yeah, and the, the, the like motorcycles that. are not have not been the focus. The, the museum hasn't gone out with a focus on collecting motorcycles. We'll accept donations, um, we'll maintain a diversity of things, so we'll maintain scooters, we'll maintain choppers, we'll maintain custom bikes, we'll maintain bicycle... Wizards, yeah. Yeah, powered bicycles. We'll have um, commonplace bikes that, that brought mobility to large numbers of people. Um, Steve McQueen's bikes, so if these are these are motorcycles that are very significant in uh, the province. Yeah. Um, anything connected to Hollywood, we'll, we'll, we will keep. Um, we so have the Steve McQueen bikes you were saying. Mm -hmm. yep. So I always think of him on a dirt bike riding through the desert. So are these Indians? These were in his personal collection. Yes. So he, these he, two he, Indians yes. Were. Yes. Um, we have a number of vehicles owned by Steve McQueen. These are two of his motorcycles. And this one right here, this Harley, this is a promotional for Hot Rod Magazine. Mm -hmm. That was Mr. Peterson's magazine. He founded it. Huh. The source of his fortune, essentially, the the roots of it were really? the, in this magazine, and so. Um, there were vehicles commissioned at various points in time in the magazine history to commemorate that point. There were, mo there were, there were cars, there were hot rods, there were uh, motorcycles, numerous anniversary Got vehicles it. that were built. How, yeah, how this came to be and who creates something like this. And um, just since we've seen about everything we can see, I just want to see, are there any other stories from the viewpoint of being the museum, being the curator that you would like to share? Like, please don't touch our stuff. <laughs> have, we, have, you, have you had anyone sit on bikes or knock any bikes over? We've had very few experiences with people doing really inappropriate things with cars. It's happened on occasion, um, but I would say we've gotten very lucky. Um, we, in the Porsche exhibit up there, we, I don't know if you've noticed, there's some Porsche designed furniture. Mm -hmm. um, for some reason, people felt like that was open seating for quite some time, and we found people sitting in that. Um, we have on occasion found people trying to get in cars and, and sit in cars, but uh, it's, it's been really, really rare. Yeah. That's nice to hear. That said, it okay yeah. for me to sit on the bat bike? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had to ask. 
This this motorcycle over here is I know of, of significance. I'm not going to remember all of the statistics. Chip, oh, Chip Yates. Chip Yates. Yeah. So yeah. if you know Chip Yates, this is yes. his, this is his Pikes Peak bike. I've talked to uh, Chip Yates. Bon Bonneville and Pikes Peak. So. Um, Chip Yates, uh, motorcycle racer, yep. world record setter, yep. also was setting a record for the longest flight in an yep. electric, electric airplane. Yes. So he moved on from this project and donated this to, uh, this to us yes. at the moment in time when he decided to move on to the, the airplane project. That's Which a good he has story. fascinating stories of losing yes. power. Oh yes, there, he has a whole video online He's about the it. test pilot yep. of going down in an electric airplane. And he still made it. <laughs> but, okay, so this is his yes. This is his Pikes Peak bike? This is, yeah, this is the one he set the record. He set records at uh, Bonneville and then I believe subsequently um, set electric records at Pikes Peak. Good Lord, how do you raise some at Bonneville and race it up Pikes Peak? So, wh who made... He actually hit a flag, I think, at, I don't know what the speed was, 100 and some, 200 miles, whatever the speed was he was going at Bonneville, there was one of those, the red, like, markers yeah. in the sand, and I think he actually hit one at, at absolute top speed uh, and, and made it. <laughs> wow. So this is really cool to see. Yeah, Chip Yates has been somebody I wanted to get on the show. We've been in contact with he's him. A, he's a great speaker too. He's uh, yeah, very energetic and. And again, this with. thing is ugly, but built for not purpose. Meant for, uh, not meant yeah. for aesthetics. Hopefully no, no. Built. And we didn't say this is an electric. It is an electric. Yeah. That's what makes it significant. That's his. That's his that's thing. That's what he does. Yeah. That's why I'm trying to figure out why the tail is so long. It has to be aerodynamics. I don't know. We'll have to ask stuff, ask yeah. Chip. Well, I wanted to thank you very much for the time you've given us in the of tour. Of course, thank you for coming. I can't stress enough to people to come visit the Peterson Museum. This is a world-class museum. There's so much to see. We're gonna go. I think go back, circle back, look at the bikes. Wipe the drool off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is Legoland for adults. You, you come into California, forget the Legoland, come to the Peterson. There is actually a McLaren made out of Legos upstairs that you probably didn't <laughs> wow. see. There you go. But okay. now I have to ask you, which is your favorite car in the display upstairs right now? What's in your, the display the, upstairs right now. You have to have a favorite right now. Yeah, I have to think. I have to picture everything that we have on display. We have so many things. I think actually my favorite cars might either be the Toyota, we, we didn't walk into the room that has okay. them, but there's a Toyota 2000 GT or a Mazda Cosmo. We just opened an exhibit on the history of auto, automotive manufacturing in Japan, uh, yes. pre-1970, so it's a lot of things that people rarely, rarely see or even knew existed. And I'm a sports car fan, I'm a, uh, those, are, those really float my boat, so to speak. They're exactly the right proportions and size and scale, and uh, particularly the 2000 GT is one of my very favorite cars ever. We'll make sure and go check that out. And yeah. in your hand, you have... Uh, this is the catalog for the Custom Revolution exhibit that we put together with Paul. Uh, we have it for sale in the store. This is great. So yeah. for those who want to come visit, can this be ordered online too? It can be ordered online at the Peterson Museum store, yeah. And what I like about this, it's got the, it looks like it's got a lot of stories in there it too. It does, yes. Right. Every, every bike is covered, a um, number of essays in the beginning. Well, you know what, I, I'm thumbing through it now and it has all the bikes obviously, but then some of the pictures show the, 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 the minute details, detail yeah. of all the builds. And I mean, I mean, I could, I think I'm going to pick one up on my way out the door. I was going to say, there's ones going in the library at yeah, the garage. Definitely. But I mean, if you're a motorcycle enthusiast, especially a custom-built motorcycle enthusiast, if you can't make it to the Peterson, which there's no excuse not to, definitely get online, check out the Custom Revolution um, book that they have because it's brilliant. And just to They're clarify, qualities. Peterson is spelled with all E's. All E's, yes. All E's. Um, is it Peterson.com? Peterson.org. Peterson.org. Peterson a nonprofit org. organization. 
and go there. You can get all the information, find out when they're open. I assume you can order a book online. You can. And the exhibit itself runs uh, from April of this year through March 10th of 2019. So find some time and get down here. Thank you very much, Brian. I Thank appreciate you. it. So once again, I want to give a big thanks to everyone that helped make this happen, to Brian Stevens, to Paul Dorlin, uh, everyone at the Vintagent who helped out. Um, this was really, really a cool experience. Yeah, and a shout out to the Peterson folks. They were super generous. You know, when you go in, A, it's air conditioned, which was nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they generously will check your helmet and gear for free, which I thought was brilliant. Um, it's a beautiful building. Um, you know, whether you're into cars, motorcycles, or just art, um, or architect, it's worth going to see. Or food. There was a really nice restaurant in the Peterson lobby. It was, and it was actually really good food <laughs> really good and reasonably food. priced. It was actually a great way to, because we were there for, I mean, you, how many hours were we there for? That's the point. If you're going to, if you're going to go to the Peterson, give yourself some time. There's a lot to see. There's a lot of rooms we didn't even talk about. There was a, an exhibit of like those Japanese micro cars mm -hmm. that were amazing. There was a whole, um, lego uh, thing there was interactive things i saw kids with tablets walking around and it was like playing like pokemon and they would go up to these things and scan them and they would see things on the tablet they make it really interactive for children too you know the feeling i got there it wasn't like a, an attraction you went to where they were trying to profit off you i felt like it was a, a place to go with someone that wants to share really cool stuff with you yes. um, you know they made it very very um uh, it's affordable it's accessible. Like I said, the staff was great. Uh, they were generous. And yeah, I mean, plan for some time because it, it's a rabbit hole of just fascination. Definitely. So do yourself a favor. And if you're in or near LA, go visit the Peterson Museum. Day two on our LA trip. Okay. I it's so hard to even set up how amazing this place is. We set out in the morning and went to the garage company in Inglewood. Now you had heard about it from Hutch and maybe some other people. Yep. And I had kind of heard from people too, like, oh, you gotta check this place out. I didn't know what to expect. I've been to a lot of bike building shops. They're usually kind of small shops with people in there just cranking away on stuff. What I didn't expect was an 18,000 square foot wonderland packed to the rafters, no joke. Literally. To the rafters of motorcycles, parts, ephemera, everything you can imagine. Everything you can imagine in one place. Well, and what I would say in every little thing, it was all interesting. You know, none of it really, I'm sure, you know, whatever, but everything had a little story to it or had something you like where you wanted to look at a little bit more. And there would be like these, there was no favoritism there. There were Harleys, there were Hondas, there were scooters. There were Honda Harleys. <laughs> <laughs> there were mannequins with, you know, in the leather suits. There's a wall of of wheels and a wall of tires. I found it fascinating, both of them. There was t-shirts, helmets, stickers, new and old, some for sale, some for viewing. There was a life-size Elvis. There was a bar. <laughs> 
there was a like a coffee shop <laughs> well you know it was interesting too and it ties back to the peterson is they staged a lot of these things so they would have they had the evil can evil like crash ramp or whatever it was and they had motorcycles on the walls tilted at an angle or a motorcycle sitting in dirt like a, a bobbed out old triumph kind of thing and in the bathroom was a, a bale of hay and a motorcycle. So as you're sitting on the toilet, you're just staring at a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah. You never know. You never lose track of where you are when you're inside the garage company. No, definitely have to go there. And it is all credited to Yoshi Kosaka. So he came from Japan where he was an avid biker, bike collector, came over to the States, uh, I believe in the early 80s. And he immediately was collecting and building and chopping and building up his collection. He had different shops, different sizes, they were at first just to house his collection. And then I think about 2010, they, he moved into this 18,000 square foot shop now. And it, it, you, you have to go see it. And you think it's huge. And then you walk through the other side into the mechanic space. And again, this is the largest mechanic space I have ever seen. And it's chock full of almost more motorcycles than I've seen, except it may be AMA <laughs> at the AMA yard sale. There were so many motorcycles and parts of motorcycles and forks and frames and gas tanks and engines. And it was amazing. Like you could almost walk on a sea of, of parts. I remember I just sat down on a stool and I just stared. Well, you know, I think what Liza was fascinated and jealous of was the organizational system. Oh, it, it was. And there's Yoshi just working the counter like Jim went to go buy some stickers. Like, oh, are you Yoshi? Yeah. 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 It was great. And, he, and, I, and I got the expert advice on how to apply a water, the water slide on decal. <laughs> it took like five minutes to explain it to me. It was genius. So I definitely recommend you have to go check out the garage company. It's definitely going to be a stop every time I go down to LA. And especially if you're there, you got to see who's in the back. You never know who's going to be uh, wrenching back there. And we were lucky enough run into hutch who you had met at the one show yeah and and jeremy i mean what a, what a kind person he's one of these guys you meet and immediately there's this attraction like wow this is one cool cat and uh and the more you talk to him the more you realize how thoughtful he is but man can he build beautiful motorcycles if you're not familiar with jeremy hutch check out hutch built h-u-t-c-h built and you know when we first saw the bike that was there was a, a 79 r80 board tracker he had built and, and not only is it just beautiful and whatnot but the engineering involved um and the way he put it together is amazing so yeah everybody was super generous yoshi and, and hutch it was really cool so we were lucky enough to run into him there and he obliged us by doing an interview so here it is here Jim here. We are in Inglewood, California at Garage Company and I'm trying to figure out how to describe this place other than it's... It's so hard to. I mean, how, how would you say it, Liza? What do you... Nirvana. Nirvana. It's just when you thought you've been to really cool motorcycle shops and repair places and memorabilia and everything else, this place blows them all away. It's every little nook and cranny is filled with some sort of motorcycle related something. It's just nuts. So, um, you know, we were down at the Peterson yesterday, which is really cool. Now we're coming down to another really cool custom bike scene um, in the heart of LA, actually started in Venice Beach. Um, but it's funny, so we're looking around and I look at one of these bikes, I'm like, that's Jeremy Hutch's bike from the one. 
I'm like, no kidding. And then, um, and I knew you had a connection, or he had a connection down here. And um, so we start poking around, poking around, and I'm buying a couple of old, you know, water slip-off Suzuki stickers from Yoshi, the owner. Well, maybe we'll get into more of the background later. And and we talk about the bike because it's up front. And then next thing you know, he's, oh, Jeremy's in the back. You want to go see him? And we're like, what? No kidding. So lo and behold, here we are with uh, with Jeremy, who we first met at the One Moto Show, um, where he had a custom BMW entered and just an amazing bike. And if um, you saw any of the pictures we posted, it was there. So next thing you know, here we are sitting down with Jeremy Hutch, who's currently at the Garage Company. And hey, good to see you again. Yeah, you too, man. So, yeah, thanks for doing this. All right. So, you know, we talked at the at the one moto but kind of maybe give some people a little bit of a background on on who you are and what you're what you're doing uh, well, go back a little bit uh, I'm a <clears throat> excuse me I'm a, an industrial designer from uh, South Africa uh, originally from Durban um, had a uh, uh, had a space in a shop in Cape Town uh, called Stu's customs uh, my friend Alex uh, is an amazing shop down there. It's where I've built most of my my creations. Right. And um, basically, motorcycles got me here. That's cool. And um, you know, I bought the BMW up to the one show, and then after that, went to the handbuilt show. Um, and now I am back here in Inglewood with, uh, with Garage Company. Uh, Yoshi's always kept my bikes here and always been uh, real good to me. And, and now I have a space that I can create and work and uh, build. And uh, with all the facilities and all the um, nostalgia and the authenticity of this, of this shop, is, uh, it's really cool to be here. It is really cool. It's definitely a legit old school scene. Um, so back again. So how did you get into motorcycling originally? What was that? Did you first find yourself attracted to bikes? Jeez, uh, ever since I could, or well, before I could walk, my my parents were like, "Where, where does this kid get his his uh, love for motorcycles?" Uh -huh. um, because they they've got nothing to do with motorcycles, and and uh, just from a kid, I've always uh, dreamed of being a motocross racer. And, uh, my parents couldn't really afford to get me into motocross, so the kind of BMX scene came around in the 80s and I latched onto that with, uh, with everything that I had because it was the closest thing I could uh, relate to motorcycles and motocross. If I had to describe you, I'd describe him as a, an old BMX kid who grew up and still looks the same. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you could still throw your leg on some pedals. Uh, well, and, I've got uh -huh. two at the moment. I've yeah, got an exactly. SE Flowville Flyer 24-inch uh, and a 24-inch GT uh, late, uh, late 80s uh, GT 24-inch as well. How cool is that? Cruise around with those. Um, uh, kind of a lot of my inspiration actually comes from BMX and, right. and motocross. That is uh, cool. Like this, uh, the BMWs, the name was Skyway because that was after a BMX bike from the 80s, a white BMX bike with uh, mag wheels and all that. And that was kind of some of my inspiration behind that bike. Um, but yeah. That's, yeah, that's so BMX of, bicycles to, to industrial design. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, you know, my design, uh, I've done like bars, restaurants, furniture, uh, houses, mm. shops. And uh, but my passion lies with with motorcycle. Did you always have bikes in the back of your mind when you were doing always, the other stuff? Always, always. Yeah. You know that, that all that other stuff's just a means to my 
motorcycle addiction. That explains why your bikes kind of stand apart because a lot of a lot of people who want to customize a bike are following the footsteps of someone else. It's really hard to think outside the box, but because a lot of your inspiration, I think, comes from things that have nothing to do with motorcycles, I'm guessing, yeah. you're able to apply your design to so many things, yeah. that is what makes your bikes set apart. Yeah, and it's kind of vice versa as well, because I bring a lot of my motorcycle design and uh, uh, fabrication ideas into furniture design and into industrial design and things that I uh, like to create and environments I'd like, I'd like to be in. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's, there's a connection between motorcycles and the way everything's made and all that kind of stuff to what I design in, in other things. Hmm. That's fascinating. So, so what was kind of your first entry into the custom bike scene? Like you would consider your first like legit custom? Uh, was probably the the Death Crusher. <laughs> the Death Crusher. So, uh, do you want to describe it, Liza, or should we let Jeremy describe the Death Crusher? Well, the first thing we were trying to figure out what the frame was the off frame. of because it yeah. wasn't familiar to me. Yeah. And but it definitely looked dirt bike in lineage. Yeah. Um, and then it's got a what is similar to a coffin it's not a coffin tank but it's a yeah. little short yeah. tank that has similar geometric lines mm -hmm. in that it's welded together with straight lines instead yeah. of curves and then I like the trellis subframe supporting the brown leather seat that is reminiscent of a Ducati yeah. so it really has pieces of things from different worlds yeah. all put together but what you end up with, and, and we said that this came from a, it was an NS650? Yeah, NX. NX650. Yeah, Dominator. So um, we had NXs here, uh, trans, uh, like Transalp and. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, or the NX. And the Africa Twin. Africa was Twin, the, yeah, the next stuff one like up that. From the NX, yeah. Um, but even though it's got design from different things and mm. those big heavy front forks yeah. upside down forks it looks like you want to get on it and go into the dirt because it's got yeah, some yeah. like dual sport tread uh, yeah. Pirellis on it and a high pipe yeah it I love a bike that makes you want to do bad things <laughs> it does and it looks boss with a single-sided swing arm yeah. I think it looks awesome in performance suspension parts yeah uh, it looks like trouble yeah, that, uh, that's off uh, Triumph ST1050, uh, single side swing arm, and then I used all uh, high-end parts, uh, Brembo brakes, Olin's shocks, uh, the FMF pipe uh, rerouted to come out of both sides and stick dual uh, out of the back. Right. Um, and then you'll see the front Yeah, even the front board. plate, I'm looking at the turn that, signals. That, that design is actually off the Harrow BMX uh, number board really thing, you know? So yeah, so the, cool. the front is a flat plate like you would yeah. have a number plate, yeah. except it's a, 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 a mesh metal, it looks like. Yeah, it is. It's stainless. Uh, yeah. Just it's powder coated. Beautiful. And then yeah. it has a headlight, a lower light. Yeah. And are those turn signals or just bolts? Those are turn signals. And yeah. small little yeah. bolt size turn signals yeah, on it, so it's uh, really clean. And that's something yeah. you do too. Everything is clean. You don't have excess. Yeah, I don't like cables. <laughs> you know, I like to uh, chase everything into the frames and, and reroute everything to make it super clean. Um, but this was kind of like a hybrid motocross street 
Trek. Uh, I would describe about. it as nimble and beefy yeah. at once, which yeah. is yeah. why I want to do bad well, things. When, when, I, when it first came out, I had a 21-inch uh, motocross front wheel. Front wheel. And uh, when it got featured on Pop and <laughs> the the trolls out there had a field day with uh, <laughs> with why I chose this wheel and it was such a story and you know uh, anyway so it was just something I liked you know I wanted to put on there you know it was a back wheel I, I would have chosen a, a even a more knobbly tire for the back wheel but you, you obviously couldn't find one for that rim. So I just went with the Pirelli uh, Ducati Scrambler. Um, and then um, when I brought it back to LA from the first handbuilt show that I went to in 2016, um, I put the Supermoto front wheel on and brought down the front. And I mean, obviously it'll handle better, but I, yeah. I wasn't building it to be a knee-dropping, um, uh, cornering race bike, right. you know? And uh, it was just a fun, powerful, talky little... Yeah, wheelie machine. Yes, exactly. Death Crusher. Death Crusher. <laughs> so, Jim, you guys noticed his bike at the one show. And what do you call that bike, the BMW? Yeah, it's a 1979 BMW R80. Mm -hmm. uh, and I call it a board racer. And it caught your eye, Jim. What about that bike caught your eye? Well, all sorts, all sorts of things stand about it. I mean, the lines on it are beautiful. It's super clean. Um, the board style, kind of the handlebars look great. But then you start looking and you're like, there's no controls at all on this thing. There's no wires, there's no switches, there's no nothing. And then, um, you know, upon further investigation, you see it's all tucked into the handlebars. So all the control, you know, is it's all hidden and it's super clean. You know, the big white, there's a lot of white to it. Um, you know, the white painted wires outside the white rims, I think give it a really cool effect. Um, I mean, those are some of the initial things that catch your eye. And I just want to remind like people who get into building and want to customize, anyone can bolt something on, but to make stuff disappear, yeah, that takes real work and talent to make it really clean. And it also takes an eye because a lot of people aren't even noticing the cables they're working around it because yeah. they're noticing yeah. the other bits that stand out when you get that deep into the layers that you're 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 noticing such small details that you want them gone yeah uh, I I'm just gonna guess because we're not even in front of the bike do you probably even like do you clean up welds does yeah. that stuff drive you crazy much. right yeah. yeah somebody who gets to that level yeah. you're noticing every yeah. little thing and when somebody's doing a bike build and they'll say look at these like custom pipes are made out of like 32 pieces of stainless and welded together and I go it's really great but I'm noticing this rusty you know mm. rusty uh, forks on your bike mm. that detracts from me yeah yeah and so that's what is really great to look at these bikes because you can tell he's going Everything. deep into the detail mm. yeah well they're well, super clean and they're, they, they seem like they're very rideable motorcycles yeah, I mean, I, I build them to ride them. I don't yeah. build them to just look good. You know, I want to want to be able to ride it. Mm -hmm. You know, and or whoever buys it can actually use it. You know, mm -hmm. and not. I mean, it's beautiful to look at, but it's also practical and and mm -hmm. rideable. Right. You know. So it, it's interesting. And before we get into what kind of stuff you're doing now, because it's an interesting juxtaposition. So we we hook, hook up here at the one. We know you're connected down here. So kind of what's been going on with you between the one moto show uh, last year and, and now? Um, well, I've just uh, had my head down. Uh, you know, just uh, trying to 
I find a space, make a space for myself in this in this industry and in mm-hmm. this world. And um, you know, luckily enough, uh, Yoshi's just given me that opportunity to to do that. Um, I'm doing uh, a, a couple building projects as well downtown with a friend of mine, Dax, and uh, just keeping busy. You know, mm-hmm. just trying to chip away at, at my American dream, you know? <laughs> well, it seems like you're doing pretty good because now, right, you're set up, you've got your a workspace that we were just yeah. checking out. Yeah. So you ended up finding a home here. Exactly. And uh, and he made order out of the chaos that was back there, apparently. You know, he, he, well, maybe you can talk about the space here. Well, I mean, you know, this is such a, an authentic motorcycle shop. I, I believe it's probably the most authentic motorcycle shop in the world. And, uh, you know, because Yoshi's like uh, the, the crazy cat woman, but with motorcycles. <laughs> you know, any, anything that comes past you, he, uh, he, he doesn't turn away. He can't turn away, you know, because I guess his love and his passion for, for motorcycles, that's the reason why he can't turn anything away. Um, so... Yeah, for me to to be able to be here and and to just take this all in, uh, my inspiration gets multiplied. So now you got set up. And the funny thing is, we're looking at the custom bikes he's built. But what does he have on his on his bench right now? Two big V twin choppers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, I always I wanted to do a. Uh, my, my next was always going to be a Harley Davidson mm, okay. and I always wanted to do a 70s style chopper right. and uh, just fortunately there just happened to be one waiting for me. <laughs> when I, There's dozens around here. When I, when I cleaned up uh, the whole back uh, section, you know, I mean, there was literally parts and motorcycles on every single square inch of, of uh, floor space. Uh, in this shop uh-huh. and uh, I'm, I'm very methodical and uh, a bit of an anal perfectionist in, um, in the way I see how I put things together and my work environment has got to reflect that too because you know if there's some people can work in chaos uh-huh. but I've got to work in, in order you know and uh, I need to know where everything is. I need to be able to grab something when I need it and not spend half an hour to an hour trying to find something and all that, you know? So um, that's kind of how I work and uh, I couldn't do it any other way. So initially I had to set up the workshop like that. Right. And uh, what? now it's got some flow and you know, there's, you can actually ride a motorcycle through that workshop, you know. So, uh, <laughs> and the workshop's got to be an acre. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe maybe half an no, acre is huge. It's huge. It's huge. <laughs> it is huge. Yeah. I love to what you're saying how you're able to walk around here because there's so much stuff, and I, I, I'm just going to take a guess here. Yoshi's not discriminating between things he thinks is cool and aren't cool. And things that he thinks are valuable and not valuable, it's all here. Yeah, it pretty much is all, it's yeah, but all I, here. Well, he, he, I mean, obviously yeah, I'm not going to say he doesn't eye. have a good eye, but <laughs> well, I'm saying yeah. if it has crusty yeah. paint or, yeah. you know, there's, I mean, this pink CB750 yeah. chopper yeah. 
is an abomination, but it also is a snapshot in time. <laughs> snapshot exactly. in time. He sees that, but there are still components of yeah. it you can take from. There's and because he's got so much stuff here, yeah. you said you're able to go around yeah. and find pieces exactly. and put something together, yeah. and that's what's great. And, pe and also pieces that were lost that I've managed to find under, underneath tables and in pockets of the of this workshop that yeah. are, for me you know also coming from South Africa you know we we um, we look at the whole scene in the US and everything and it's it's that's what we kind of uh, almost aspire to because it's so much more accessible here mm -hmm. see there we have to hustle and hunt and and order and, and then it's you know it's, a, it's a big it's a big thing but here you have everything and if you don't have anything you order it and it's here the next day or, or you just lift day. up a tarp and hey there it is or that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and there 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 is everything i mean We've got beautiful choppers, Triumphs, race bikes, Ducatis, yeah. and then I find like a Honda Spree. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, okay, cool. it's yeah. all here. It's, it is all here. Now, are they still doing uh, custom builds currently out of here? Uh, yeah, there's a custom, yeah. well, I'm, I'm well, doing one at the, one, yeah. at the moment for, for Yoshi, um, but we, we, we actually want to try and uh, get the get more of a custom scene going back on track here, you know, right. because Yoshi used to be in on Washington, I think, in okay. Venice, and then he moved here to the obviously to the bigger space, and you know, as times have changed and you know the internet and all that kind of stuff, you know, there's a lot of parts that he sells online, mm -hmm. you know, that are rare buyers all over the world. So kind of that's what so, he's focusing on and. You know, running the shop and because if you go back and look at the builds that um, you know that, that Yoshi's done over the years, they're bitching. Oh man! I mean, they are bitching motorcycles. Yeah, but I mean, you know, he's a legend. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have a question: Is there a bike or a motor that you've always wanted to work with that you have in your on your list? You have in your head yeah. already. I mean, you know. Again, I don't discriminate, but uh, yeah, yeah. I love uh, I love knuckles. Yeah. I, love, I really would love to do a knuckle after this shovel head that I'm doing, and obviously a pan uh, on the Harley side of things. Um, so you're going through an American trend, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You know? that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you we know? do have them here, not for very much longer. They're all getting scooped up. Yeah, exactly. There's actually a guy that's selling his whole business. Uh, around here, but and he's apparently got like 30, 30 knuckle motors, <laughs> 30 wow. pan motors, all done, all ready to go. You know? Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, do you get into the flat track scene at all around here? Uh, I haven't. Um, I'm actually uh, trying to get into the uh, dual sport uh, oh, really? thing. Yeah. Cool. I mean, um, my plan is to do the Transamerica Trail. Yes, nice. it's on my list yeah, too. Yeah, we talk about it. But I want to do the whole thing, you know, from North yeah. Carolina, I think it is, and it ends in Oregon. Our, our friend Paul did it on a custom chopper he built, Hardtail. Mm-hmm. Yep. Dirt roads. Yep. Wow, that's brave. Yep. So that's cool. So do you have an idea yeah. where you might want to do that trip on? There's a couple. I mean, Honda's just bought out a uh, CRF oh, okay. 450L. Yeah, 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 we know about yeah. it. Yeah. But uh, I want to. I'd like to take one of those or two of those and put some love into them and trick them out. Trick them out, yeah. Right on. Yeah. 
I mean, nice. I, I had I had the idea of do, doing a trip from Texas down the Gulf of Mexico to Tulum, mm-hmm. and then from Tulum to Belize, through Belize into Guatemala, through Guatemala into Mexico, and then up the west coast of the Mexico uh, back to California. Wow. Which is still something that I would love to do, but uh, a lot. Uh, <laughs> judging by what's going on in in some of those countries, I've been advised to uh, maybe to put it on the back burner for a little bit. Well, didn't we just have a travel warning from a friend? Yeah. In Nicaragua. Yeah. Yeah. No gas, and the country's going to shit. Yeah. Well, it sounds like your roots came from riding in dirt. Yeah. Mm. And that your your continued passion is to get in the dirt. I'm wondering. We can expect to see your custom builds. Always have a piece of that. Yeah, like definitely. Anything you build should be able to go in the dirt. Yeah. There you go, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 yeah there will, that's, that will be the, the dual sport thing. I'm, I want to do, I'm going to build a, a high tech dual sport motorcycle. Yeah. But, you know, new technology. I get the new yes. CIA 450, right, and then and then put some flavor on there. So yeah. it's totally different than taking something old and exactly. reworking it, take yeah, something yeah. new and yeah. improve on that. Exactly, yeah. Because I mean, there's so many uh, aftermarket products that you can buy now that are all, you know, the best of the best. You know, the best engineering technology, everything that's gone into it. You know, it's it would make sense to to use some of that in what I'm trying to do, you know? Well, yeah, well, especially when you're out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And it's just yeah. you and you don't, you know, you, it's good when your stuff works. Yeah, exactly. You want the best as well. If somebody would like to see some of the bikes you've built and your yeah. kind of design, yeah. where can they go to find that? Uh, it's just Facebook at the moment and then my Instagram uh, account, which is Hutch Built. Um, that's probably the, the best way to go. I like, that's why I like the stamp on your bikes, Hutch yeah. Built, mm. B-I-L-T. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, uh, uh, letter punched into there. Yeah, I like that. That's, that's a, cool. It's a good touch. Almost like a typewriter look. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I like, it. I like yeah. it. And then can people contact you directly if they want to kind of connect with you and yeah, maybe yeah. do some work and that kind yeah, of a yeah, thing? And just reach out on Facebook or yeah, Instagram? And yeah, and it's not only just motorcycles, you know, it's anything pretty much, you know? That's cool. I was, uh, well, I'm just waiting on it, but uh, there was a pizza display that, uh, this, these people uh, asked me to to build for them. So no kidding. You know, whatever. So industrial design, yeah. motorcycles, all the better. But yeah. bring it on, huh? Yeah, right exactly, on. Exactly. Hey, cool. Hey, well, thanks, Jeremy, for yeah, taking no the time. Problem, I know man. we pulled you out. You were in the middle of no working, worries, and no we worries. dragged you out here. Yeah. So it's really good to see you again, and, and yeah. actually see you. You seem very at home at this place. Yeah. Well, I love this partnership too between Garage Company and and Hutch Built. Yeah. I can't wait to see what more comes out of it because it seems like. You've already come into the table with skills and ideas, and now you've got all the tools yeah, and parts, and, and you're being yeah. enabled, fully yeah. enabled. Yeah. So there's going to be great things coming out of here. Well, it's yeah. just like that tail light that you found wherever that we yeah. don't even know what it's from that you're going to yeah. put on that, that custom chopper you're building. Yeah. I don't know where that thing came from. <laughs> uh, you see those on um, canisters. Yeah. It's, it's like a valve on a canister, right? Yeah. 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 But that stuff's everywhere around here. Like yeah. you said, the inspiration in this place yeah. to draw from I mean, is amazing. There's even stuff above the the rooms at the back there that you know she's stored up there. That's still in packets from, um, I mean, bags from like the 60s, the 80s. <laughs> it's you know? awesome. You could spend a, a, a week in this place and I, mean, I see it all. Just, just the decal collection. You know, I go through these uh, this decal yeah. collection categorizing everything and um, 
like all the stuff from when I was a kid. You know, I, <laughs> right. I used to write to companies in the U.S. You know, and to say, get the I'm, I'm a, "Yeah, please send me some decals." You know, and they did. And know? these are the water ones. You have to dip in water and yeah. get them wet, and you slide yeah. them off. Yeah, it's rad. Yeah, and then clear coat over them, whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm really glad we we came here and made this our first stop. We were told check out Garage Company. We're told by you. By you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, also, but it was so and much others. more than so much and more than I thought. What a treat to find you here, and I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Yeah, no and, worries. Um, I'm glad you guys came by. We'll uh, we'll keep up and keep following you. I can't wait to see what's coming out next. Well, keep your eyes on that uh, that shovelhead chopper. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, maybe we'll go back in and take a snap of it, and we can post it, yeah, and no uh, people can check it out. We'll follow the progress. Yeah, awesome. Right on. Great. Hey, well, thanks well, again, Jeremy. Cool. No back problem. To man. Back to work. Right on. Thanks, thanks man. Clap your hands with your yeah. Wow, that was such an amazing weekend, but I think my favorite part of the whole weekend, Jim, was going to the Lucky Wheels garage. Couldn't think of a better way to wrap it up. So the Lucky Wheels Garage is a co-op garage space community in Los Angeles. It's like one of those co-op garages where you can either rent the space by the day or by the month, but they've developed a whole community out of there. And I think part of it is because they have such a great space. Yeah, the space is nice. It's uh, it's ample, uh, nice tall ceilings. There's plenty of room to not only work, but to walk around. And it's thoughtfully laid out. I, I wish I had taken some pictures, but you know, the simple things, but how they have their tools organized. So they're on the walls. They're easy to see. It's easy to see when something's missing. It's easy to find things. But it was very simple like pieces of wood with a nail put in it but they also followed my rule if you noticed if you want people to stick around put out chairs <laughs> yeah so they had a little coffee shop and and an old van seat sitting out there and it just made it comfortable and people just came and hung out and there were dogs running around and Fortunately, we had Larry from Creative Writing, who was kind of our host for part of the weekend. He had set it up that we would do a little meet and greet slash barbecue. And that's another way to get people to stick around. Free hot dogs. Yeah, and big shout out to Larry. He was hustling all back and forth across town, you know, getting getting food and, and doing the cooking and grilling. And, uh, and it was awesome. Everybody was real appreciative. And it was really a great afternoon. So big shout out to Larry. Yeah, I really enjoyed hanging out there and meeting all the people. And, you know, I could have hung out with people for a long time. We well, you know what's cool about it. It's the whole community garage is, is there was all sorts of different people. And like if you're up in San Francisco or in our neck of the woods, you kind of get some certain genres of like NorCal people. But I thought it was interesting. And you get the L.A. version of it down there. Like there was some dude in all like black leathers and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. look, I came out of the Matrix. And then there's all these other characters. But everybody was there for the, you know, for the motorcycle. It was cool. And don't forget the mopeds bombing up and down the street. <laughs> it was pretty boss. <laughs> <laughs> and the and the seemingly never-ending circling police helicopters. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, thanks to Larry for setting that up and to everyone who came out and joined us. We had such a great weekend. I can't wait to go back again. There's so many more places to visit. Yeah, places and like we made a bunch of new friends too. So I think it'd be great to do both is is keep checking out the motorcycle scene down south and, and keep checking in with friends. But yeah, when we talk about what a great motorcycle culture we have here, the one down there is thriving. That is a motorcycle city a real metropolis so much to see and do of every type of motorcycling i can't wait to get back so 
As a kind of closing here, um, we're going to leave you with some interviews we did at Lucky Wheels Garage with some of the people there where I got to ask them the question. Hey, we're here at Chillin' and Grillin' at the Lucky Wheels Garage. Got people cooking uh, hot dogs, hamburgers, having a lot of fun. Let's talk to some of the people in the crowd. What's your name? This is Shane. Shane, what do you ride? Uh, I ride an Aprilia Tawano, 2017. I ride a Mad Maxian post-apocalyptic Kawasaki uh, uh, KW1000 and a Suzuki Bandit that's been modified 1400cc as a Mad Maxian bike. And what is your up the butt bike? Butt bike? I have to go with the Aprilia. Good call. Good call. Let's see who we got over here cooking on the grill. What's your name, sir? My name is Ned Flowerlander. (laughs) It's Junkie Turdman. How you doing? Jackie Terry from the Creative Writing Podcast. My name is Burger McBurgerson. Yeah, today I'm in charge of burgers and hot dogs. I'm not very good at I'm about as good at them as I am as wrenching on a bike. So they're all burned and nobody's, even the dogs won't eat them. That's not true. I've had two. <laughs> mm. So tell her who, everyone what you ride. Well, I ride a Yamaha SR250. Yes. Named? Spamala. And I ride the hell out of that thing. And what is your up-the-butt bike? Well, I grew up in a very Catholic neighborhood, so I'd take a Ninja 2... Whatever you, whatever you give me, I'll take a Ninja 250. I also did some time in prison, so I feel like I'm owed a bike by now. Um, God, I don't know. Uh, a Pook. Uh, a 1978 Pook uh, 50. I like your standards. Let's uh, meet him back. <laughs> yeah, I came for the hand jobs, but I'll stay for the burgers. <laughs> hey, Turman, what kind of hot dogs do right. you buy? The street dog won't even eat them. <laughs> Who do we have here? What's your name? My name's Ashley. And what do you ride? A Triumph Bobber. And what is your up the butt bike? <laughs> Probably, um, I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, my dream bike is the Triumph Bobber that I have right now. Surely there is a bike out there that you look at and you say I take it up the butt for that (laughs) come on what is it Uh, all I love old BSAs and Nortons so uh, any one of those good call alright what is your name hi my name is Jay and what do you ride (laughs) I ride a 2016 Harley Sportster a lovely bike, I must say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. It's so much fun to ride. And what is your up-the-butt bike? Um, Probably something that I would build custom. I've been dreaming of doing something custom. So just basically scavenging parts and putting together a chopper or a bobber. Isn't that what your sportster already is? <laughs> yeah, I kind of have reverse engineered that thing and took it from looking beautiful to looking pretty ratty. But it's a lot of fun to ride, so... Cool. Thank you very much. And let's see, who do we have here? What is your name, sir? Paul Smith. The Paul. The Paul Smith. The original. The original. (laughs) Not not any of those posers. Forget about them. The Paul Smith. Do you have a message for Mike? 
Message from Mike. Well, I was hoping that he'd be down here so I could give it to him in person. He's not. He flaked. But I guess I'll just have to wait to see him in person. I'll give him the message myself. Nice. And uh, what are you riding? Um, well, I drove up today because in the back I have uh, uh, an Interceptor 750 to give to our friend Mr. Producer from Creative Riding uh, so he can do the uh, Motorcycle Podcast Challenge on that. I've got two other Interceptors. I've got a VMAX, uh, Dual Sport, and a couple of dirt bikes. Full garage. And what is your up-the-butt bike? Vincent Black Shadow. Oh, very butt-worthy bike, I must say. Awesome answer. Do you have an up-the-butt bike? Do you have one? Yeah, I've got a... Okay, hold on. Let's start with, what is your name? JT Smith. There you go. Are you related to Paul? Yes, I'm his son. So basically, you have an issue with Mike, too. I guess, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And do you ride? Uh, I ride dirt bikes. Cool. What do you ride? Uh, Honda XR250L. Nice. Do you have an up-the-butt bike? Not really. Do you know what an up-the-butt bike is? I don't think so. Okay. It's a bike that you look at and you go, I'd take it up the butt for that. There has to be something that, like, come on. Everybody has a price. There has to be a bike, your dream bike. What would it be? Uh, I'm not quite sure. I've never really thought about it. (laughs) (laughs) Catching them off guard here. I know. Vincent Black Shadow, a pretty nice bike. Yeah. uh, If money was not an option, what bike would you buy today? Um... Uh, I've always liked the look of the Indian Scout, so... Good choice. That is a decent bike. All right, good call. Thanks. All right, let's see who we got here. What is your name? I'm Daniel. Daniel Ducati. Daniel came and spent a day with us at the garage. What would you ride up on today? Uh, I came on my Hyper today, Hyper 821. That thing is sick, dude. It's pretty fun. So the question is, do you have an up-the-butt bike, and if so, what is it? I have an up-the-butt bike. What is it? My up-the-butt bike is an H2 Triple. Oh. My, it was my dad's first bike when he first started riding, and he got it stolen after he bought it for, uh, for a month. So he had it for a month, it got stolen. So So if you could get that original bike that back? Bike. Uh, be the dream. Nice one. All right, who do we have here? Uh, Angel from Los Angeles, representing uh, Los Angeles Ducati. Yes. And... Um, what did you ride up on? I rode up on a 2006 Ninja 636 stun bike. Yes, you did. Yeah. I heard you coming too. And do you have an up the butt bike? I do. Uh, it is a 2017 Kawasaki H2R supercharged motorcycle. Nice. That would be a fun uh, race side by side to see. Yes, it would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it would be awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. All right. Who do we have here? This is Narissa from Milwaukee. Yes, yes, you are. <laughs> and what do you currently ride? I have a 2018 Softail and an old Honda CL350. Good, good, good mix. Yeah. I think that's, that's a perfect mix. Maybe a little another dirt bike, more modern. I'm, I'm looking at getting a dirt bike. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of yeah. new into the off-road stuff, but... Round it out. That's, that's my next purchase, for sure. So you know what the next question is, don't you? My up-the-butt. What is your up-the-butt bike? 
I would take it up the butt to have one of Evil Knievel's old bikes. I think there is not a single person here who wouldn't. <laughs> Everyone agree? Uh, yes. Okay. That's a butt-worthy bike. Good <laughs> <Yeah>. choice. <laughs> well, there you have it. That is our LA special. What a great time. So go on over to motorcyclesandmisfits.com. You can find the link to our Facebook page, Recycle Santa Cruz. You can find our link to our YouTube page, our Patreon page, Instagram. It's all there. And just remember, if you are going to be visiting Northern California, come and see us. We are here every Sunday hanging out. And who knows, you may even get to sit in on one of our shows. Yeah, we love special guests. Yeah, we do. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.